Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Tom Gara. Marler, it just meant more. We are back, and we are back doing a game that is so special for you because this is the infamous tennis match game for you. Yeah, this is my Pete Rose game. <laughs> this is my... <laughs> um, yeah, this is funny. I, I, for those of you who don't know this story, we'll obviously reference it several times on this episode. We're talking about the 1994 SEC Championship game. And why that game is near and dear to my heart is... it. Fun fact, Connor, like, I, I never got to see the game. This was my first time watching the full game. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay, because so, okay, I, I've quick. only heard the first part of the story, but right. the, the aftermath of it, that that's one thing I did not know. Okay, so so let like let me let me address the, the first part of the story. If, if you guys are unfamiliar with it, I've referenced it before on the podcast, but we'll say it again, obviously. This game, uh, it's 1994, December 3rd, 1994, and I was a I was on a travel tennis team. You're eight years old. I was eight years old. Uh, I was on a travel tennis team, and I was—I had a match that day in some tournament. I don't remember where it was, but I threw the match. I, I lost on purpose, um, so I could go watch this game. This was <laughs> this was the SEC. Bama's twelve and zero. Like you're two years removed from a national championship, ranked third in the country. This is like to hopefully get into a national championship game of sorts. So I threw the match because it was the same. It was like exactly the same time. Like the start was like four o'clock or something stupid like that. Threw the match. <laughs> was later kicked off the tennis team because I threw the match. <laughs> and again, let me reiterate, I was eight years old. <laughs> just, There's nothing just like a the good, corruption. There is nothing like a good eight-year-old tennis point-shaving scandal. It's the best. I I just, I mean, it just means more. I, guess. I mean, I just, uh, too I, much. I'm the poster child. But yeah, it, just for this game, like literally child. Um, and yeah, so I lost on purpose. And I, I just remember... Wherever we were playing, I, I guess sprinted to, there was like a clubhouse to try to go watch the rest of the game. And my mom was pissed. Because I think this, this like, this setup was like an hour away. Like, wherever the, turn, the tennis tournament was, it was an hour away. It's December. Like, no parent really wants to go watch their kid participate in a sport they're never going to be good at. Let's Indoor facility, right? No, it was outside. Oh, my gosh. That's like yeah. Hook playing baseball in a pre-Christmas tournament. There you go. Exactly. It was it was, it was was awful. I wish he, he probably threw that game, too. Definitely. So, anyway, we, we go... Um, I run inside trying to find the game on TV to watch it. And I remember they had this like little like barish setup, um, and they had the game on, and it the game had ended. The Army Navy game was coming on, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" So I missed the whole game. I knew what happened. I called my dad and found out Bama lost uh, by one point, which is pretty heartbreaking, uh, especially when you find out that I was again kicked off that tennis team for throwing this match for a game <laughs> Bama lost by one total point. Um, but I had never, I mean, this is also like 94, so I know we had the tape, we had the VHS tape, because he taped all the games, but I was never going to watch that game, because it was, you know, because they lost. So this is my first time re-watching that infamous game that, at eight years old, I pulled a Pete Rose, and, and let's say I bet on myself. <laughs> okay, I would, you talk about having the tapes of this game, I would pay $100 for a tape of that tennis match to watch that and watch how you return serves, just everything <laughs> about that day. I wasn't like, let's be fair, I wasn't great at tennis at the time, I was, but I was good. Like I was like the number two on our team. Like, so I, I was, I just remember my, our coach being like, what are you doing? 
And I was like, <laughs> in the same way that I would now even, like where I would just shut down emotionally, but I was just more vocal about it. I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. <laughs> just like, and the kid, like, you, like, think about it like this. Like, you, it, I had to play the whole match. Okay, that, that was what really sucked. You still have to play the whole match. So it's not like I could have just been like, I forfeit. I should have faked an injury, I guess. That would have been smarter. That would have been way smarter. But this was just a, like, watching paint dry type of match where I just sat there and just just <laughs> casually lost over and over and over again for roughly an hour and a half, two hours, I guess. Wow. I didn't realize that you had not seen this game. And me, as a four-year-old, I'm pretty sure the only sports that I watched when I was four were Michael Jordan and, and the Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant as well. Um, as you do. But 1994, the SEC championship was very important, obviously. And yep. maybe not as important as the situation that you've laid out. But for these two teams, this was very pivotal. Florida, yeah. of course, was once again rolling under Spurrier and not necessarily playing for a national championship in the same way that Bama was or playing to have a shot at the national championship. But this game meant a lot. And so for Bama fans like yourself, this game is going to be a little bit tough to look back on. Yeah. For Florida fans, this game will bring up some positive memories about the beginning, kind of the beginning of this era where they were, once they got going after this, Dude. Florida was a force to be reckoned with for the next couple of years with Danny Werfel under center quarterback. So, but just kind of pivotal, pivotal they for a variety. They season, ranked number one preseason. Which is something I definitely forgot about. Until yeah, there's re- so many of those in this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of things that we're definitely going to have to circle back to. And, hey, just for fun. We brought on our good friend Chris Doring to talk and recap <laughs> what was just a massive game for good old CD. I, and dude, I'm so glad that the text I sent him asking for him to be on wasn't in a text thread because I was after I sent it, like I sent it as a joke, like I was joking with what I sent. But I, I honestly, after I reread it, I was like, oh, maybe I was a little bit too. I went too far with this one. Because I was like, hey, man, just watching this game where you ruined my childhood. Wanted to see if you wanted to come talk about it for 15 minutes. I'm over it. I'm not bitter at all with that stupid, like, I'll t- we'll see how the, the game unfolds. But there was several moments. I, f- I forgot he caught the game-winning touchdown pass. Spoiler alert. CD has not aged since then either. That's no. That's <laughs> He is the same exact human being that he was 26 years ago, or at least yeah. it looks like it. So, we have that to get to later. We have a lot of stuff, a lot of people to talk about in this game. Before we do all of that, Marlowe, tell us about our friends at Bet Online. Guys, every single day it seems like there's just some new fascinating way to to dabble in degenerateness. Okay, and I and I say that when I say that I feel like people hear it in a bad way, like in a negative light. When I say degenerate, it's just you know, I just mean passionate. That's all I mean. Okay, and 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 dedicated. Um, what am I talking about today? I'm talking about this. Last last time we were on, I told you that you could bet on every state. You could bet on every state for the election. Connor, what if I told you you could now bet on certain players on whether or not they were going to get COVID during the restart of the NBA? I definitely <laughs> thought, I definitely didn't think you were going to go there. I thought you were going to say, what if I told you you could bet on whether or not Tommy Tuberville is going to win uh, in his state? Oh my God. 
I'm not gonna address you, that. You didn't want to go there. Okay. All right. All right. I don't think we should go there at all because it. Nope. It, I, I, <laughs> no, we, we're not gonna talk. About it. I will tell you, it has been funny to watch the Twitter interactions on either side. I, I'll say it. He's better than Jeff Sessions. I I don't like Tommy Turbo, but he's a better he's a better option. Than that as, guy. as a anyway, football coach on. or a politician. Both. Okay. <laughs> just, just both, yeah. Um, I don't think Tuberville ever tried to date a 14-year-old when he was 34. Anyway, moving on. Here's what we're talking about today. You can literally bet. You can literally bet on what players in the NBA restart will get COVID. It's Right now, what a hit up betonline.ag. What a time to be alive. If you think I'm not going to put some action on some of those guys. Because, listen, if you haven't been playing, paying attention to Twitter, it has been hilarious to watch this NBA restart anyway. That one guy tweeting out the other night, this is Kelly Oubre, was like, y'all, I know it sucks, but, you know, like, we're here for a bigger reason. <laughs> you can order food to the hotel. It's a great it's a great thing. And then, like, walk somebody through, like, the step-by-step process of ordering food to the hotel. And then somebody did that and then was, had to go in quarantine for the next 10 days. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you weren't allowed to pass a certain line. Anyway, um, make sure you keep up with Twitter to see who is possibly going to catch this stuff. Also, make sure you keep it up with Bet Online so you know who to bet on and who is going to catch COVID this NBA season. That is all for today. Go to betonline.ag today. Tell Uncle Chris sent you. Everybody keeps saying, oh, LeBron definitely isn't staying in the same hotel rooms as everyone else. You know why? Because LeBron's staying in my guest room. All right? Spoiler <laughs> alert. He's there. He's chilling. LeBron, be Connor quiet. Putting right? out a, just an Airbnb for NBA players is just next level. That is incredible stuff. Got to do what you got to do sometimes, you know? <laughs> I would put out an Airbnb for Spurrier. Let's talk yeah. about the HBC. I know we've done several Spurrier games, so we don't necessarily need to go down the full Spurrier road. But coming into this this year, as you mentioned, Florida, number one in the country. Already had that loss to Auburn, though. And this is a week removed from the Chokadoke. Yeah. And I thought, I thought that we were going to hear this reference on the broadcast a lot. Yeah. And there was an hour and 24-minute replay that was on ESPN Classic back in, like, 2016 or something. That's, that's, that's what we watched that's available on YouTube. So it clips out some of this, but it really catches you up uh, on most of this. And it does a really good job at this. doesn't leave a, a ton out. But I did not hear one single reference from Keith Jackson to this incredibly important game in yeah. this rivalry and i thought we were going to get a lot of that dude think about this think about this too you had espn at this time i know that because the 94 this season i remember watching the bama tennessee game on espn and the bama georgia game um on espn which is also a funny espn's story. been around since the mid 80s yeah no i know but i'm saying for college football games we think of espn now doing college game day having these these huge it, it's it's a much bigger uh broadcast i would say or much bigger reach and just just the way they put everything together it's it's uh, what's the word i'm looking for connor damn it i don't know it's, it's a <laughs> production <laughs> production is the word yes yeah. um it's a much bigger production thank you this should be like a game of jeopardy you and you and ali <laughs> should play a game where me saying you know what's the thing what's you know the the what do you call it and then you two try to guess what i'm talking about because she hates that game You're talking about water like you couldn't remember <laughs> water <laughs> it's just everything um Anyway, no, so, but, but like, ESPN didn't have a lot of big games. Jefferson Pilot was in its heyday. Um, but most of the games were on ABC, and that was for, this was when they had the regional coverage where you would get ACC, SEC, mm-hmm. Big Ten, Pac-12, all that kind of stuff, and just depending on what region you lived in. And it was interesting because I'm, I'm almost certain, I know that that game was on ABC. Yes, for it was. Miami, but, but I don't, I'm assuming that Keith Jackson did that game. Keith Jackson was with ABC. But I'm saying like, he did all the big games. 
So I'm assuming he did that that game. Maybe not. Maybe he was at Michigan Ohio State because it's also the same same day. Oh, you're know. saying that Keith Jackson did the choke at Doke. Yeah, oh, I wasted two minutes just trying to okay. reference that one thing. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, like, because because the Iron Bowl was week before, also on ABC. I'm assuming he had to have done that game, and it was shocking to me it wasn't brought up at all, at all, because this this team, Florida was really good. I mean, they were a really really good team that year. Um, but in that game, especially, I think it was on this kind of weird extra week where everybody saw that. I think there are probably a few Georgia fans listening to this, like, why aren't you guys doing the choke doke instead of the SEC championship? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, but at this point, it's still a very successful, it's still a very successful season for Florida. Spurrier yeah. really had the fun and gun. All systems go. And it, by the way, all-time cool nickname for an offense. That is the easiest thing to recruit for ever, ever. Yeah, you couldn't recruit with that this day and age. Some some a eh. would be like the fun and gun is not okay. Right. Um, I agree. It was that is that was like, and it was it was. I hate to sound cliche, but it was fun as hell to watch, man. It like they were with with all the talent they had on the field, the running backs included. Like yeah, this thing was, and, and people always forget this. I know I do, especially looking at this ninety four ninety five team that. That uh, entire, entire team was loaded. It wasn't just the offense. That defense was was special as well. Incredibly talented. It kind of felt like it was only a matter of time before Florida was going to get over the hump and win a national championship. This is in the midst of eight consecutive top ten finishes. And I don't think that maybe it's because of Nebraska doing what it did during this decade – but I know that I know that Florida fans will, will talk about this as such a golden time, and it was very much different than the latter half of the 2000s with Urban Meyer. But that doesn't get brought up enough. The eight consecutive yeah. top ten finishes and how hard that is to do. And Spurrier, I, I I give him so much credit. But the one criticism I have of him, why is he not rocking the visor yet? <laughs> what is he, he doing? I don't care. What? what? Yeah. So what? Since when is the visor a functional thing that he... I mean, I realized that when he came to the Alliance of American Football, he wore the hat the first game of the year, and I asked him about it. I'm like, why are you wearing yeah. a hat instead of a visor? And he's like, oh, you know, it was supposed to rain today, and then it didn't rain a drop, and I'm wearing the visor no matter what next week. He should have been doing this in 1994. Yeah, I think they probably would have gone undefeated if he was. Um, That's what I'm saying. That is, you know, when you talk about the the undefeated, or the top 10 finishes, it's, it's such a crazy time in college football where you have... Like, like f- people forget that Florida and Florida State were not national brands before this decade. Like, they just weren't. Well, you had Dion. I, I don't know, Florida, Florida State. Yeah, Florida State getting there in the 80s. Maybe not yeah. a little bit before Florida. But you're, you're right that it's not necessarily a program that, you know, you're talking about in the 60s and 70s. And mm-hmm. they, they had figured it out kind of at the same time. And so you see well, this rise yeah. together. Well, and you, you had, like... Before you guys freak out, okay, Florida fans, because um, I, if I said this on Twitter, I'm sure I would just get absolutely reamed for it. But when I say national brand, it's not like you expect them to compete for some level of championship or even play in a New Year's Day Bowl every single year like we, go, we grew accustomed to in the 90s. In the 80s, I know 85, I think they finished like third in the country or something like that. What, what is the smile you're giving me right now? I'm, the smile I'm giving you is because we always come back to the same quote whenever we talk about this subject. Yeah. When we were there at SEC Media Days, and we were there for the screening <laughs> right, of Saturdays in the South. Yeah, rest in peace. We should be there right now. And we were there at the screening for Saturdays in the South, and Laura Rutledge says to Spurrier, 
you brought swagger back to Florida. And he's like, what? brought it back? I brought it to Florida. What are you <laughs> yeah. talking about? So that, that kind of says it all right there. Yeah. And, you, and you, again, like uh, this is an SEC podcast, but with like Florida State finishing in the top five or top four, I think it was. No, the top five. Finished in the top five for 14 straight seasons. Darn good. That Darn is unreal. Now, they didn't play good. anybody to get there, but don't let you <laughs> not celebrate it. So, no, but it's, it's, it's kind of a crazy time when you start looking at these these two programs, especially, or, or just the, the level that they were at. And, you know, that that turn, like that, you have that first year where Spurrier's there, and Florida is kind of an afterthought. Not, not an afterthought necessarily, because you did have the Emmett Smith years, and like I said, mid-80s, they were, they were good for that one season especially. But the, the power shifted from... Teams like Tennessee, teams like Auburn. Bama had not been good in the 80s. It shifted to this two-team race, it seemed like, every single year in, in I mean, the it 90s. was. Yeah, and, and, and they they went at it in this game, which we had never seen before up until 1992, a yep. conference championship game with so much on the line. And you finally get these three versus six, you know, three like these top ten matchups with the best of the best from each conference or each division in the conference and, and with so much on the line. And um, – you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's, it was worth throwing a tennis match for. So. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that Spurrier was facing on a yearly basis, it seemed like, Gene Stallings, the Alabama coach, who had a legitimate chance to win second title in three years. And this will get into a little bit of the what would have happened if the result was flipped. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But you could answer this question better than I could. Is it fair to call the early 90s Bama kind of the forgotten era as we talk about Bama football in the last 50 years or so because it's between Bear and Saban obviously yeah. you didn't have you didn't have a decade long of consistency and obviously the Antonio Langham fallout certainly led to that where you lose 30 scholarships for a dude signing with an agent and playing in it right being now? an eligible I, I, I mean you see I'm breezing Signing with an agent for $300 on I'm a breezing, napkin on, on Bourbon Street <laughs> breezing right past it to get to the, the bigger question here Gene Stallings, I realize he's got the title, and a title immortalizes you in a way that yeah. it's just kind of different with college football. But is this sort of forgotten as we talk about the history of the SEC in this time, or am I just simply not remembering it well enough? That's an odd question, I think. For like, because I just my first game I ever went to was in 1990. My first season I remember watching as like a fan was '92 because I was six. Um, and so I was hooked instantly, but so for me, like I have this like very, um, almost like clutchingly close nostalgia to this, these teams, because like I named my first dog after <laughs> Jay Barker and, and all that kind of stuff. Gene Solomon's won 70, he was there for seven years. He won 70 games. He averaged 10 wins a year. That was something that it cannot be understated how important he was to that program because what he did, um, had not been done in, since Bear left, yeah, just it just had not been done since Bear left, um, and we all know, I, I, I think, and people have taken a lot of enjoyment out of it as they should. The aftermath of him leaving was a nightmare for a decade, yeah. and it, I think people do remember that way more than they remember these times because, you know, you had the '92 national championship, and I think it's like almost sandwiched directly in the middle of Saban's first championship, Bear's last championship, mm. um, and, and so you have this weird like just median of of national titles that are. Yeah, they are often overlooked because you had all of those Florida teams that were so damn good. You had Tennessee win in 98, um, and then you had Florida and Tennessee kind of taking over as, like, the main guys. So, yeah, I think if you're looking at 
Spurrier, you're looking at Peyton Manning at Tennessee and all those guys, it's easy to forget about yeah. Bama winning that one national championship. And then I don't think – if you looked at 94, I don't think people remember that Bama was 12-0 and going into this game. Sitting there in p- position to potentially make a move, whether or not they would have been able to play for a national championship, uh, different discussion. But Gene yeah. Stallings is very successful nonetheless. And a coach that I think if you put him – I think it would be really, really tough – if you were given a multiple choice question, not knowing who he is, you're given yeah. a multiple choice question of what year did this guy coach in in the 20th century? And you could say 1905, <laughs> 1945. Yeah, I dude. have no idea whatsoever, but rest in peace to the full suit look, look for football coaches because it was great. Dude, Gene Stallings has been exactly 63 years old yes. since 1945. Mm-hmm. He's been the same age and has looked the same as this is like not disheveled, but like he, he looks like every person that has shown up to a, a, a southern wedding from someone named Tammy, like <laughs> just begrudgingly wearing a suit that they have not worn. And I don't even know. He's like, God, I got to put on this damn suit. Really? All right. Well, I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt under it. OK, bottom line. So that yeah, that that is Gene Songs, but he's a hell of a coach. Um, just, you know, it's a fantastic guy. He, he left he does. the game so he could spend time with his son. I mean, that's that's happened before. You know, Chiswick did the same sort of deal where... Don't t- don't, what in the hell is wrong? Not comparing them from a success standpoint. Both have national titles. But you know what? Sometimes oh, wow. you need to spend time with your family, and that's just the yeah. best thing to do. All right, the A-listers. Let's get to the guy that you named your dog after. Jesus. Jay Barker, which, I mean, that, that name by itself lends itself to naming... It's a dog name. It, it really is. But you took that to a different level because obviously he was the best quarterback of all time. Guys, I if there's one takeaway I want you all to have out of this, or if there's one thing, like I, I felt like going into this, I was going to regret how over the top it probably was to throw that tennis match. But honestly, my only regret, maybe as a Bama fan, my whole life is um, name my dog after Jay Barker. I did not realize how just absolutely powerfully mediocre he was it, like it's just every throw in this game if you watch it he is somewhat rolling to his right and throwing across his body and i think he, that was his whole career to be that's honest. his and, only throw that he could make dude he fit he was a heisman finalist he was, he was a heisman, heisman finalist he was fifth in the heisman and this is this is honestly i've, I've brought this up before Maybe my favorite Heisman class ever. Steve McNair from Alcorn yep. State finishes third. third. Rashawn Salam. Um, I forgot who finished second, but Warren Sapp was a finalist. He was okay? sixth, like, yeah. He was sixth. And I think, I'm pretty sure Sherman Williams finished in the top ten as well, the running back from Bama. But you had so many, so, like, so, many, so much talent and star power in that, that Heisman class. Um, the fact that we, like, <laughs> re-watching it, as soon as, I, as soon as we got it off the pot on Monday... I took a picture of his stats when they brought him up, and I was like, "Oh Holy yeah, God!" And it was Jay Barker was somehow thirty-four and one as a starter. Thirty-four and his, one and one as a starter, which they made sure to bring up several times. The t- who was the tie? The tie had to be to Tennessee then, but I thought he was out for that game because because Derek or David Palmer was the one that started uh, that game and then didn't okay. finish that game. I believe I could be wrong. Regardless, um, he yeah he was thirty-four one and one, and he had somehow. I think they brought up something about him playing in 50 games or something crazy or I don't know. But, like, his numbers were he had 13 touchdowns and three interceptions and had a had 1,800 yards. And they were talking about his career there, how he was going to finish, I think, as the all-time leading passer with 5,500 yards. Joe oh. Burrow did that by, like, week seven. 
Did that about like week three. Yeah. Um, so first team All SEC quarterback, SEC Player of the Year, as we said just now, fifth in the Heisman voting. SEC Player of the Year. Yeah, SEC Offensive Player of the Year. Did not have two thousand passing yards. He had negative 143 rushing yards. He had 15 total touchdowns the entire season. He got a whole lot of credit for those wins. Entering this season, 12 to 22 TD to INT ratio. That's had, unreal. Had not completed more than 57% of his passes in a season. Do you have his um, numbers pulled up right now, by chance? I don't have his his season-by-season season one. His season-by-season season numbers broken down, but it's... Up until that senior year, I mean, in the senior year, like it's okay. And if you had just looked at his numbers, uh, understanding the context that this is still 1994, this is still before the air raid offense is even a, a thing in Power Five football. And so you look at those numbers and you're like, okay, like that's fine. But let's let's call it what it is. The defense is doing the heavy lifting. By the way, Bama oh, yeah. had four top ten defenses during the stretch that Jay Parker was at Alabama, which why they finished number one, like. Yeah, definitely did. I'm, I, okay, so I'm looking it up. I'm sorry for I should have had this done before, but in 19, <laughs> this, so here's his numbers overall. 93 season. He only had nine games that year. To be fair, he had four touchdowns and seven interceptions. Okay, um, he had in 92 the national championship season because because this is where this all really started for me is where like like going back and like we. Like looking at this game and realizing how average he really was, and also a great dude. Okay, sure, really nice guy. We'll Seems that. like a really nice guy. He does. Yeah, married to Sarah Evans. Um, anyway, so '92, he had he <laughs> he had seven touchdowns and nine interceptions. And, and and I remember like they were playing Miami, and they're number one versus number two in this national championship game, which is an absolutely epic one versus two matchup. I think it was only the fifth time it had happened for a national championship in the last, I don't know, like 30 or 40 years watching that game, I just, I, I did not realize how average he really was. And those numbers, like, really, really back that up. Um, just, just not worth, just, you know, Queso Corgabailoa, I'll stand by that forever. This was not worth a dog's name. I'll say mm, it. Not, definitely not worth We just This goes back to what I've said multiple times. And the, the one time that I've cursed in this podcast was related to talking about old quarterbacks and how we just had such different standards for yeah. them. And even in 1994, which not that long ago, I mean, 26 years ago, yes, but at the same time, we evaluated quarterbacks in a much different way. Keith Jackson just, praises his mobility for that throw that he makes <laughs> on the first touchdown. And don't get me wrong, it's Awful a nice play. play. It, it, it's a no. nice play. I'd say it's a very fortunate throw that easily could have been picked. And the result was picked. two Florida def defenders crashing into each other, not being able to tackle him. But all the credit then goes back to Jay Barker and his mobility. And we're talking about somebody, and, and then Keith Jackson talks more about his mobility. And I say that not to discredit Keith Jackson or say he doesn't know what he's talking about. He knows way right. more about football than I do. But, like, Jay Barker had negative 143 rushing yards this year. Let's not sit here and I, pretend like he's a mobile quarterback. He That throw is, just spoiler alert again, it's my coldest take of the broadcast. He, he like... Keith Jackson he goes, he's got a guy, he's got a man. And then as the ball is completed to a different player, you hear Keith <laughs> Jackson say the name. He goes, he's got his tight end. And the ball is in the hands of Curtis Brown, I think, running free at, at number 85. So it's just like, I mean, he was just, so, he he was limited. And But I think you hit the nail on the head when you brought up the fact that this guy was so helped and aided by a good stout defense. Um, yeah, like it just that, that 92 defense was number one 
in the country in every major statistical category. So I think that helped shape his legacy it went a very long way. Let's talk about a, a much better quarterback that probably should have been the SEC Let's, of the year. Before we get to that, um, oh. before we get to that, if you were following along in the doc here, which thank you for trying to transition and ruining it. Got you, bro. There we go. <laughs> um, I was going to say, the guy who gave him a lot of aid as well, Sherman Williams, the Alabama running back, who had 1,300 rushing yards this year. He and Steven Jackson were first team All-SEC running backs. Second round pick in the NFL. Spent a few years... Backing up Emmett Smith, ironically enough, with the Cowboys, former Gator. But also spent 14 years in jail for dealing weed and counterfeit currency. But the good oh news, God. the good news, hey, all's well that ends well. He got out, and he got his degree from Alabama in 2018. Last year, 2018, during the Auburn weekend. Sherman Williams, doing well. Hope everything with him is going well. Because he was very fun to watch in this game and was yeah, somebody was. that uh, I, I think that you know, because because the 90s, we talk about all these great Bama backs. Even if you talk about a great Bama back in the 90s, he's not the first one that comes up. It's going to be Sean Alexander every single time. Yeah, yeah. But, but a darn good. Second. Yeah, but a darn good career and somebody who was very important for them actually having a chance at a national championship. I forgot how good he was in this game. I mean, just in general. Because he, he's a little dude. He, he's not little, but he's like 5'10". I, I met him at the Iron Bowl when we were there with Bud Light in 2018. Uh, and he was outside. I think he had a book deal or something like that, and he was like signing autographs or something. <laughs> I was like, hey, I don't need your autograph, but I will pay you twenty dollars to do the Sherman Shake right now because he had this little shimmy. Maybe it was called the Sherman Shimmy. I don't remember. I think it was Sherman Shake as like his touchdown celebration. That's another thing that needs to be brought up at some point during this broadcast or podcast is the celebrations were off the hook in this game. They were. <laughs> they were incredible. Um, but yeah, Sherman Williams was, was really good. Uh, especially that season, I think he led the SEC in rushing yards and carries uh, and attempts. And like I said, Heisman finished in the top ten on the Heisman. Um, and I didn't know about his his uh, yeah, his incarceration. Career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's nice of you to bring that up, though. Sorry, I apologize. All right, Will, <laughs> Willie Gaston, the Alabama safety, who was uh, All SEC player in 1994, also All SEC in track, seven career interceptions at Bama but had about five near interceptions in this game and wasn't able to, to get that that key pick that I think really would have turned things around. Um, only in one year in the NFL, though, unfortunately, but still was a big part of this defense, which was just really, really good. Damian Jeffries, uh, Shannon Brown on that defensive line, just had uh, Deshae Townsend as well. Just seemed like they, had, they, they just had dudes all over the place. I can't and believe, dude. You're not even mentioning Dwayne Rudd. Oh, I, I have Dwayne Rudd coming up. I have Dwayne Rudd okay. coming up. He's he's so, in a different category. I was shocked to see this on here because Willie Gaston was, in my opinion, I don't care if he was All-SEC, he was hands down the worst defensive back in that secondary. It was a really, really, really okay. good secondary. Yeah. Um, now, my opinion of that, just like this game, um, has been skewed by my father's storytelling my whole life. I, and I didn't realize that until rewatching this game. Uh, I was I was told at one point the only reason they won is because there was an interception that was not overturned and it should have been because he uh, the ball hit the ground. Watch the replay; it did not happen. Mm. Um, but I heard that for years, and I also heard that Willie Gaston sucked for years and years and years. And I remember hearing that and just assuming it was true. And one day in 1998, fun little story: I'm out uh, practicing baseball with my dad. Tennis? Uh, like, oh. no, just baseball. I'd moved on from that sport, and. Um, this guy came up, uh, was talking to us, and, he, and I think my dad was wearing a Bama shirt, and he started talking to him about um, Bama. He's like, yeah, we're big fans. He's like, yeah, you know, my nephew played there. And, and I'm like 11 or 12 at the time, right? 
And so I had even less of a filter than I do now. And he was like, he's like, oh, what's his name? And I was like, the guy said Willie Gaston. And I go, oh, Willie Gaston sucks. Because I'd heard my dad say that over and over and over again. It's not a good way to make friends. No, it's not. It turns not. out it wasn't even true. He was really good. He was good. I thought he made a lot of plays. Should have made a few more plays, if we're being honest, but made a lot of plays in this game. Danny Werfel, the Florida quarterback who we talked about a lot when we did the SEC GOAT QB podcast. How is he not locked in as the full-time starter yet? How did he only start five games this year? I, I, I Don't get me wrong. There are moments of this game where I'm reminded that he's still a sophomore and some of the decisions that he makes, not great. He, he has better days. He has much better days. But the broadcast starts with Werfel stats. And they say... Uh, you know, they show that he's got 1,527 passing yards, 15 touchdowns, but he's only got five starts. And then they say that he leads the SEC in passing, but they don't clarify that they actually mean passing efficiency. I had to find that out okay. later in the broadcast. Because I was like, wait a minute, Jay Parker has more passing yards than Danny Werfel. Um, Danny Werfel's efficiency aged really well. But when they show this, this graphic later on, this kind of tells you what you need to know about passing offenses in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Number one in the country in terms of yards per attempt was Kerry Collins, 10.1. Penn State quarterback, really solid. Team was loaded. Team was good. Team was darn good. There will be another reference to Penn State later on. Yeah. Uh, number two in that department was Werfel, 8.3 yards per attempt. And this is just, this is what they were ranked at the time, and then that's also what they finished with at the end of the year. Uh, Terry Dean, also Florida quarterback, guy who <laughs> traded snaps with Danny Werfel during points of that 1994 season, 8.3 yards per attempt. At number four, Jay Barker, who finished the, the season with 8.8 yards per attempt. Passing efficiency, I don't want to say that it was bad then. It's just gotten so much better. And well, Werfel got so, better with it. Yeah, agreed. It's, and you look at, we've talked about this before. I think I brought it up on the, we talked about the team, best teams to never win a national championship, that 95 Florida team. I remember looking at the stats for that. And I believe it was the first time Werfel or anybody had had over 10 yards per attempt, was ninety was 95, like, from the SEC. Anybody so from sure the SEC, yes. I, um, yeah, I think you're right on that. And he led the country in pass efficiency then as well. And it just it was a guy that was just really, really good. And, and I didn't realize how weak his arm was. Like, he did not have a lot of zip on the ball. But he put, he put the ball where his guy could get it and only his guy could get it so, so, so many times. It was, I mean, he was so, so accurate. As we talked about with the the GOAT podcast that we did for SEC quarterbacks, Werfel had his limitations, but Werfel could also do things that you're just like, man, that that's exactly the throw that you needed to make in that exact yeah. moment. And I don't care if you don't necessarily have a rocket arm and you can't make this throw. This throw is more important than for what we need at this moment right just now. Right. And not to do the whole like, oh, he won a lot of games, therefore that makes him a good quarterback. As I always <laughs> say, if somebody's talking about your wins as a quarterback is the first thing that's a positive about you, you're probably not that good of a quarterback. It's just a usual rule. Uh, but Werfel would do things that won football games and kept kept drives alive consistently and would keep his composure and make those key throws in the right spot that Florida just always seemed to need. And this game was a great example of that, especially with what happened down the stretch. Another thing yep. that we will get to later. One of the guys he was throwing to, or was hoping to throw to more in this game, Jack Jackson, the Florida receiver who I had forgotten that he was the leading receiver on this team. But on favorite, the first... Favorite. Florida receiver of all time. No offense to CD. Really? Hands down my favorite. 
Jack Jackson, if, if there was ever, like, if we were playing pickup, backyard football or whatever, I was always, one. I always want to be Jack Jackson. Jack Jackson, the name was cool. It was he cool. was, he was, like, I think he was number one, right? Or was he number five? Oh. I think he was number one. Now I'm blanking because he was only out there for the one play. And I'm trying yeah. to, no, but he, a good he photograph was so memory. good, and he was, he was, like, on a team loaded with talent, especially on offense and especially at receiver, he was the guy. That, I think you, you said this thing earlier about uh, Stallings' time at Bama. Is it the most overlooked? I think he's the most forgotten about elite yeah. Florida receiver and maybe SEC receiver ever. That team was so loaded with young receiver talent. And here Jack Jackson was as as the senior on that, that group. And, you know, he has the play where the uh, first series of the game, he's trying to stretch for the first down, and he dislocates his shoulder, and he's out. And there's this moment of like, oh, crap, Florida's all of a sudden without their, their leading receiver. Who are they going to turn to? Oh, they have a million other guys. And this essentially yeah. ushered in the new era of Florida receivers where you have uh, Redell Anthony, you have obviously Jacquez Green, you have Ike Hilliard, uh, some guy named uh, Doring, I think, was pretty good too. Like, yeah. this team was just loaded with these young guys who Jack Jackson was, I don't want to say that he was – um, easy to replace because that's unfair to what he did this yeah. year. But Florida was just so set up, was set up so well. And the reason that Florida was able to win this game and and not not necessarily panic after he got injured was because of all this this young depth and talent behind him. Yeah, Ellis Johnson, Kevin Carter, Florida defensive lineman who I, I group in the same category for a couple reasons. Both were first team All SEC picks. Both were all over the place and basically took everything Jay Barker owns. Um, both were top 15 picks. Uh, people forget that was also a top 20 defense, too. As much as we they talk about the funny gun. Following your top 10 or top 5 the following year. Yeah, very, very yeah. good. Very stout defense as well. Carter spent 14 years in the NFL, and Ellis I, had a decade. I, I feel like Carter and Fred Taylor were both playing in the NFL three years ago. Yeah, so I remember when I first went to Atlanta – and one of my first Houston's regulars, um, Christina Fitzpatrick, who used to be on this show, and I can't even remember the name of it now. He used to come on, like, Fox Sports South. Um, and he, it was her, him, and then James Bates, the old linebacker from Florida. They all did. And I, I forgot what the name of it was, but I just – I did not enjoy Kevin Carter because I didn't know who he was or his background. It just always seemed like – I don't know. It's just me being a fan, disagreeing with everything he said. And I remember going to look up his career, and I was like, oh, my God. Kevin Carter's like, like I, I don't even want to say poor man's, but he's like just a, a slightly lesser version than Reggie White, like in college. He had just a ridiculous college career. And then, yeah, like you said, the longevity as well in the NFL. Very, very impressive to see how long he lasted in the NFL. It was really good on this day. It felt like if you weren't going to account for him off the edge, Jay Barker was going down every single time. Every time. Um, breakout performers, Deshae Townsend, the Alabama God, corner so who – was a, a freshman at this time, uh, eventually became a three-time All-SEC all selection, played for 13 years in the NFL, won a couple Super Bowls with the Steelers, now actually the secondary coach for the Bears. Deshae Townsend, I'm guessing you had some very, very happy memories of. I love Deshae Townsend. I, he stayed there all four years. He was an All-American by his senior year. He, he was just so good. He, he, he was like, every time I see Deshae Townsend, he, he looks like that that elite 90s, I don't want to say high school football player because he was also so good in college, but he was like everything I imagine from an elite 
like early to mid 90s player and when i say that i mean like he's the best athlete on the field it seems like oftentimes mm-hmm. and his shoulder pads for whatever reason are like almost half his body weight like he's just these big ass shoulder big pads big shoulder pads and he was so good and i forgot he returned kicks he was as a true freshman which says a lot that he that Stallings had that much uh i mean like i think true freshman at the time in general you still were were not trusted quote unquote as much as uh other people on the team. So there are a lot of true freshmen in this game that, that were getting yeah. some good run. Fred Taylor as well. Just freshmen and, and guys who are going to become stars all over the place. And you saw it on this stage. Another one of those true freshmen, a high school teammate of Deshea Townsend at South Panola High School in Mississippi, Dwayne Rudd. Told you we'd get to him. Imagine having those two dudes on your high school football team. <laughs> that's not, yeah. that's not Did they ever lose? All right, they couldn't have. There's no way. Yeah. He had the go-ahead pick six that looked like such a monumental play. Another SEC championship, another late pick six from Bama against Florida. History was repeating itself, but then it sort of didn't. Here's my question. He did this several times in his career. Here's my question. Yeah. Good old number 87, by the way. When did we decide that linebackers can't wear numbers in the 80s? Because I think we need to bring it back along with all the neck rolls. We definitely need to bring the neck rolls. That's not that's not in question. I know um, that might be like a safety issue, but whatever. It's it, it, yeah. it looks so cool. They'll heal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that he was eighty seven is weird too. That's that's a really good point. Because um, I remember like in the eighties, like I think Cornelius Bennett was ninety seven, <laughs> and like Keith McCants was like eighty six. It, it wasn't that uncommon, but um, yeah, he he uh, he was definitely from an era that we didn't understand that single digit numbers for defensive players is like the most physically imposing thing besides your bench press numbers. Yes. Um, he was he was really good. So uh, I, I was surprised at I, I didn't know that he had like what I thought was going to be the go ahead winning touchdown. But he, yeah, again, a guy that was a future first rounder, like all American, and, and made several plays like that, uh, like defensive touchdowns throughout his career at Bama. Fred Taylor, the Florida running back. Amazing thought about Fred Taylor. He was a second-team All-Pro running back 13 years after this game was played. That's so stupid. That is insane. As a yeah. running back? As a like, running back. What? Um, so underrated in terms of NFL running backs in the 21st century. I feel like he and Curtis Martin are kind of in that group of guys that just His don't necessarily get like, enough love. Isn't he playing college now? Oh, he definitely is. Oh, yeah, I feel <laughs> like, like I've I seen. I've, I know Florida? we've had that headline. I know we've had that headline on SDS. Yeah. I feel like you might have to look that up. All right, I'm drawing a blank on that. At this time, leading rusher on this team, but didn't really fully break out until 1996. True freshman who wasn't yeah, even we're supposed His to son, start. Kelvin, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Kelvin, where's Kelvin at? Uh, he was drafted. <laughs> Is this right? Hold up. It says Kelvin Taylor was a running back who played at Florida and was drafted in 2016. Did they pull a Griffey and just both play in the NFL at the same time? Like, wait a minute, it was, was just... Kelvin Taylor the one who Mac? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Was Kelvin Taylor the one who, if you recall, I'm pretty sure McElwain freaked out on him on the sideline back yeah. in 2015. Like he lost his mind. If you do like Kelvin yeah, Taylor GIF. Okay, that's that's why I'm drawing a blank. Okay, all right. We knew we we knew it from somewhere. Glad we got that figured out. Yeah. Um, By the way, McIlwain in that gif is terrifying. Very very scary. 
he wasn't supposed to start in this game, but Elijah Williams was was banged up, and had, Fred Taylor ends up having a, a solid game. Not necessarily the best mm-hmm. game of his career or anything like that. No big-time breakaway runs, but had that key fourth-down conversion late <laughs> that gets a little bit lost in the shuffle with yeah. that go-ahead drive that Florida had. All right, let's. We got There's a lot of Florida receivers we're going to talk about here. Redell Anthony, the um, also just a, a freshman at, at the time, and stepped into a number one role when Jackson went down. They say on the broadcast, this is this is an amazing call. They say on the broadcast that he's going to be the next great Florida receiver, and like two plays later, he he makes this diving catch, and then immediately he takes his helmet off, and it's like, whoa, this dude has arrived. He's being Ridiculous. blanketed blanketed by T.P. Johnson, and number 10, Bama, number, for, or for Bama, Tommy Johnson, who had literally the last game they played against Auburn, had the biggest play on 4th and 10 to break up a pass from Patrick Nix. Like, incredible cornerback. Blanketed, and Warfel just puts this perfect... I, I mean, I'd never seen quarterbacks put a fade on the outside shoulder before Danny Werfel, and he yeah. did it just perfectly. So he, he throws this touchdown, and then this true freshman kid, first thing he does is get up, rip his helmet off, and point to the stands, and I was like, let's awesome. go. Like, good awesome. for you. That was straight up Miami out of that playbook, yeah. but still, nonetheless, I think we need some more of that. Even if it gets 15 yards, whatever, I'm here for it. Um, I, I'll be honest, though. I get him and Jacquez Green mixed up all the time. Both oh, were smaller guys. Numbers. Both were All-Americans. Both got drafted high by the Bucks. They they, yeah. they were synonymous for a while, and I, I kind of got on that Bucks bandwagon in like the late 90s because I like the uniforms. That's like what you do yeah. when you're in third grade. If you like the uniforms, you start rooting for a team. Um, if you like I, a good old burgundy and bronze combination, Connor. No, 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 no. 70s living room. No way. All right, the Bucks uniforms with Tony Dungy and John Gruden, those uniforms were, were solid. There's a reason they yeah. came back to them. And by the way, I, I, I may or may not have purchased a, a certain thing that a certain clothing item that is old Tampa Bay Bucks, like the orange yeah. Steve Young way back look, it's a mask. I got a mask. Steve Spurrier. Yeah, yeah, Spurrier too, but yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess I guess that works. Uh, if, if you actually you can, go to Anthony's Twitter account, you see uh, who's the next re- recommended follow is Jacquez Green. Uh, Jacquez Green comments on a lot of my tweets but does not follow me. Um, I respect but anyway, that. He's number yeah. It's probably the best thing to do. He's uh he's number five. Jack Jackson was number one. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, good call on that. But also, I th- like you said, they were smaller guys. I thought Anthony was was it? He was taller uh, and lankier. Jackson was like 5'11". small. I think they're really? both. I don't think either of them are six feet. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I don't they're think either of them are dating apps soon, guys. They were definitely listed as six feet probably throughout most of their career, and then it's like, ah, are they really six yeah. feet? Yeah. <laughs> All right, CD, a guy who was definitely six feet. Chris buddy. Doring, um, as great as he was, he's a legend of the game in many ways. Fourth leading receiver on this team because you had so much talent with Anthony, Jack Jackson, uh, Arby Hill actually also, also mm-hmm. had more receiving yards. And, and he was shown a lot early in this game. And I don't think he had a catch until the fourth quarter. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I'm they pretty sure... They set up a, a trick play with Redell Anthony that they didn't use to CD. I, listen, I love CD, I, but I'll tell you what, man. I saw it coming. I saw it coming, CD. I'll just say it. He's flinching. He was, he's all excited to get that pass. What a dime. Down. What a dime. It was, it was, he, the he trick put play. A, he put a nice throw on that. The trick play where... Werfel throws what looks like, ah, maybe it's a tiny bit of a bubble screen or something like that. Right. 
But CD takes three steps back. And keep in mind, this is late in the fourth quarter, trailing by six. You need a touchdown. And, of course, Spurrier pulls out the bag of tricks. And he decides, yeah. you know what, we're going to take our, our walk-on receiver, converted quarterback, CD, and we're going to let him throw a pass. That's what we're going to let him do. Calm, cool, and collected. CD just drops back. 20-yard dime right to Aubrey Hill. And then, of course, it sets up his game-winning touchdown. Beautiful ball. Really, really nice ball. You see some bad yeah. balls on those, like, receiver passes or running back passes. Yeah. That was a perfect spiral. He had done that spiral, a million times. Spiral, led the receiver, put it where only his receiver could get it. It was nice. It was, it was nice. It was whatever. All right. That's, well, what, that's what I texted him about. I was like, I don't know. I got. We won't see we're going to record an interview with some guy who had a BS uh, trick play <laughs> to beat my favorite team. <laughs> But yeah, well, let's let's talk to him about it. Let's let's talk to him about it. Let's go to our interview with our good friend Chris Doring. We're now excited to be joined by our good friend. It is Chris Doring. CD, let, let's get right into it. Today we are talking 1994 SEC Championship, a game that is very near and dear to your heart. You and Danny Werfel, of course, are, are boys, so I got to ask this: You have the 20-yard dime to set up your go-ahead touchdown. You had three completions in your college career, but I have to imagine that one was pretty special. I set the over-under of times that you've brought up that play to Werfel at 26, one for every year <laughs> since it happened. Is it over or under that? You got I would say over probably. I mean, mm. you know, when, when, when you can go – Danny used to try to claim that his hands were better than mine, and we'd, we'd often have <laughs> contests to prove that. But uh, I would say that my passer rating and completion percentage is, is way better than his is. So I, I know I don't qualify with the minimum number of attempts, but uh, it is something that I, I loved. Uh, Coach Spurrier you know, kind of designate, designated me as a guy that would throw a lot of the, the trick plays as, as a receiver. So um, both at, at uh, Florida and in Washington that year that I was there with him. And so uh, that was kind of an honor as well. You, you know how, how much he – uh, values guys throwing the football and the fact that he trusted me to do so was uh, was pretty cool. You averaged like 17 yards per attempt in your career. It's insane. Yeah. I mean that number is that that'll never be touched in Florida history. Well, a couple couple things I got to tell you. First of all, you know I, I walked into Coach Spurrier's office uh, probably ah this was actually around signing day and we were doing coverage over there for the SEC Network so we had a little break I went by to see him. And I walk in, he's like, Chris, hey, I was just looking at this box score. Pulls out a box score from 1994, the SEC championship game in Atlanta. He goes, Chris, you know you, uh, you threw for more yards than you received that day? And I was like, first of all, I don't know if that's something I should be proud of or not. But uh, secondly, you know, the fact that he was reviewing the box score from the 94 game, I thought was, was pretty funny. It just happened to be, bring that up. So. That was funny, and the other thing, you know, we talk about that that uh, that yards per completion. Like one of my, if you go back and look, I threw a touchdown to Terry Dean against Vanderbilt in the swamp. We ran; it was a reverse, so they, you know, I, I was out on the left. I take a couple steps forward, and I come back, and the running back is bringing the ball to me, and he pitches it to me. Like all of these trick plays, we run so many different times in practice and with coach you know you know they're all live they're all you know going to be called at some point in time but we've we've run them meticulously everything's perfect so this one against Vanderbilt they pitch it to me it's some we somehow mess up the handoff the ball's bouncing I'm running away from the line of scrimmage it bounces like two or three times and then takes a perfect big hop right back up into my hands and it actually worked out better because it was a screen back to the quarterback 
all of the defense was over chasing me. I flipped it out to uh, Terry across the field, and he ended up running in for about a 40-yard touchdown. So that definitely skewed my completion uh, average there. But uh, I, I challenge you to go back and take a look at some of those other throws. It wasn't, wasn't particularly beautiful. I think the one in, in Atlanta against Alabama worked out exactly how we, we had planned it. But uh, sometimes it, it works out better uh, than you could have ever imagined, like the one in Vanderbilt did. No, it was it was a spiral. In fact, I think you threw a better ball than the one that Werfel threw to you for the game-winning score, which happens on the next play. And I, I got to imagine that you, well, obviously, like you've talked about this a ton, but your adrenaline's going through the roof at that point because of the pass that you just completed in that moment. And Werfel gets to the line, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it looks like he audibles. Yeah. What was that call supposed to be, yeah. and were you exactly expecting right. him to look was, your way? It was actually, so I, I throw the ball to Aubrey Hill. We get down, the, I think he goes down to the two-yard line or something like that, yeah. gets knocked yeah. out of bounds. So we got a run called, and I'm actually out to the right, and uh, all of a sudden Danny checks to 97, which for us, hitch by the inside receiver, slant on the outside receiver, and that you talk about your heart, there's nothing better than, than being down around the red zone, knowing you're about to catch a touchdown. Uh, so when he checked to 97, uh, you know, I knew it was on. And, and uh, again, I didn't have a big day receiving, but to have thrown a, uh, the, the, the pass that set up the game-winning touchdown and then to catch the game-winning touchdown in the SEC championship game, I don't think you could draw it up any better than that. And uh, I don't know. It, it, I, I know my boy Marler's an Alabama fan, but <laughs> that – that Alabama rivalry, you know, playing them in 92, 93, 94 in the SEC championship in the, the first three years of that, you know, inaugural concept of, of the, the SEC championship game, that one was the first that we moved into the, the Georgia Dome, and it became like a Super Bowl feel. And I don't know if you guys have gone back and watched the whole game or not, but that was a oh, yeah. damn good game. I mean, it was a back-and-forth yeah. game, you know, them picking one off and taking it to the house. Like, it was really a well-played ball game between two heavyweights. And so to have, you know, throwing the pass in a game like that and then catch the game winner uh, with, with a game was just that good was really cool. I really – I thought you were about to, like, not only ruin my childhood with the touchdown catch, but ruining my next question because literally in the dock, that was my first question I was going to ask, was you alluded to it perfectly. Um, the first two years you had this game in Birmingham outside Legion Field, which at the time Legion Field – it was a little bit cooler than it is now, uh, or a lot of bit cooler than it is now. But moving to the Georgia Dome, the first time they to play this, they had, had a Super Bowl there already, and you said it was like a Super Bowl feel. Just how how big was that feeling? Because I'm assuming it's also the first time you guys had played in a dome. What was that entire experience like, and, and did it just set the stage to feel even bigger than, than it seemingly was? Well, a couple things. First of all, you know when you look back on things, at the time things make sense, but now you look back at it, you're like, all right, the first two years of the SEC championship game, <laughs> were played at the home stadium of Alabama. Like, right. it, it, you know, they're playing home games. They're half their schedule at, at Legion Field. It didn't make any sense, you know, looking back now. But at the time, we didn't even know. This was kind of a new con. It was a brand-new concept, and it was just cool to be a part of something like that in 92. And let me tell you this. In Birmingham in early December, that game, that was the coldest game. I've played in Green Bay. I've played in Kansas City. I've played all over. That was the coldest game I've ever been associated with in my entire life. And as a true, as a, I was a redshirt freshman, I didn't play it down. I'm fully dressed, but I'm standing by the heater the whole entire time. And I, I couldn't have been colder. Then the next year we go back and play it in 93, and it's raining. and It's miserable out yeah. there. So to move to the Dome 
was great. You know, 72 degrees, perfect weather on the on the inside. It was awesome. Uh, we had actually played some games in some domes before. We played in the Sugar Bowl in, in 91. So, oh, yeah, good point. You know, we, we did have that experience. But I will say the feel of it, it took, you know, you're at a more neutral stadium. You know, this is a, at the time was a, a relatively brand-new uh, stadium, state of the art there in in Atlanta, and then you know just the whole feel of it. They they were undefeated. We were highly ranked, and there was so much on the line. It just took it to an, another level, and I, I think it, it hasn't looked back since. I mean, moving it to Atlanta was probably the best thing that could have happened for that game. And as you guys know, there's no other conference that's been able to duplicate what the SEC has been able to do with the with their conference championship game. I think a lot of it has to do with playing it in Atlanta in the Dome the way that it sets up every year. Doring, real quick, just to piggyback on what you said, you'll, this is one thing that I can say that, you, that was positive from you in Florida when I was a child, okay? That 93 team, you talk about playing in the Dome. I totally forgot about that when you guys went to New Orleans and you beat up on West Virginia 42-7. Yeah. to seven. That's yeah. how I learned my multiplication tables was that 42 to 7 because the 7 times 6 I swear to god that's that's how I learned hey, how to how to count every, and do mental every, math. <laughs> every good football fan as a kid learns their sevens uh before they learn everything else because it's always yep. it's always about the touchdowns man I do the same thing. And in fact, I got knocked out in 93 we're playing Mississippi State. I get knocked out. I'm having a, a tremendous game. I end up catching 12 balls for 199 yards, three touchdowns, but I get knocked out in like the third quarter at the at the goal line. They take my helmet away. They won't let me go back into the game, though, until I'm able to count backwards from 100 by sevens, which is pretty hard, and I haven't been knocked out you know, right now, and it would be hard for me to do, but let alone coming back from a concussion. But that's where you take it next level with your sevens, when you can count backwards by 100 by sevens. And uh, you know, that's one of the things that back in the day you might want to have in your pocket just to give yourself an opportunity to get back into a football game. That, nowadays that wouldn't go, but uh, back then that was, the, that was the true test to see if you were ready to go back in after being concussed. <laughs> I was I was gonna knock you for the grittiness for being cold outside at Legion Field, but you just brought it back by finding the ways to be able to stay into a game by doing multiplication. <laughs> that was that was pretty gritty of you. Um, exactly. All right, so gritty, gritty. Again, for those that don't know, gritty is the uh, synonymous for white, right? White receiver. Yeah, that's gritty, pretty that's much what it. We use. Your words, your words. That's fine. <laughs> Um, so we know, obviously, a lot was made of that game being played in Atlanta, but maybe the more important question was, what spot in Gainesville was blessed with your presence that night? Oh, my gosh, that's funny that you bring that up, bro. So we, we come back, we fly in afterwards, you know, and uh, in 94, in um, uh, December of 94, I am 21 because my birthday is in May, born in 73, so go. I'm 21, so it's perfectly legal. So we get off the... Uh, Get off the plane, and we always stopped at the same little gas station, picked up a 12-pack, and then we went to um, we went directly to our favorite bar, which was uh, TJ's back in the day. TJ's, they always took care of us, man. It was, it was a great setup. We got our SEC championship hats on, and the special that night, we, no, no offense here, Marla, but oh, around God. Gainesville, they were Alabama Slammers. So I knew it. <laughs> killing Alabama Slammers, and... <laughs> Dude, I got overserved. I take no responsibility. <laughs> and luckily, my teammate at the time, Tony Davis, our running back, takes me home, and I start spitting in his car. He's like, hey, Chris, man, come on, stop spitting in my car. Then I threw up in my hat and put it back on my head. So it was uh, Oh, CD. And I went. I got home and ended up, uh, I guess I was trying to, 
clean clean my hat or something. I woke up the morning. I had flooded my apartment because I turned the hose on the outside and left it running all night. So it was uh, it was not a good ending to a uh, a great day, but uh, didn't finish up as strongly as I would have liked. You know, I've sat here and thought about all day. I was like, I don't even know what questions I want to ask CD. I don't want to talk about this <laughs> loss. Like, what can we possibly learn from this? And and my God, I mean, that is just you threw up in your hat and put it back on your head. Like that is I, like I I have personally overserved you before, and I, I'm, yeah. I'm just glad that you've grown. I'm glad you've grown. You haven't done that. Um, uh, okay, I'm so up. my tolerance <laughs> levels improved, and I have not. Uh, I don't know if I've done an Alabama Slimmer since that day. I know you haven't worn hats. I know that. So that's, that's fine. I look, now I, I know why. I look terrible in hats. <laughs> I can't wear hats, bro. All right. So here's my here's my other question. Yeah, and this is this is honestly, I think, just more kind of consoling me after uh, you know this this loss. But like, so I don't. You don't know this part, but just talking about that, it might mean too much. It definitely means too much. Whatever for me. My first dog that we ever had as a kid was named Barker after Jay Barker. Watching this game, I have zero doubts in my mind that you would have been a better quarterback that day than Jay Barker was. I just, I mean, I don't know how he ended up being a Heisman finalist, but I got to know because that D, that D, people talk about the offense all the time that Florida had, which was also legit. But that defense was was incredible. Uh, yeah. It didn't really get as much love. What what was the game plan that day? Um, and, and what's something we may not know about the, how how strong that defense was? Well, our, our defense is were uh, really good. I think, unfortunately, they didn't get the credit they deserved. And I, I, I want to go back. Uh, um, our boy uh, at ESPN, what's his name, Chris Conley? Um, yeah. He, he does all the analytics. So he, not, not, not far back, he, he ranked the best teams in the history of college football not to win a national championship. It was like a top 25 team. So I was like, yep. surely our 95 team was on there, the one that went undefeated. We got beat by yeah. Nebraska in the national championship game. That Nebraska team's probably – the best team in the history of college football. And so I'm, I'm looking 25, 20, 15, I'm like, oh, man, we're going to be in the top 10. All the way, and, and didn't even end up in the top 10. Like, we weren't even on the list at all. So I don't wow. know that we got the, the, the consideration. We had him on our, our show and asked him about it. He said, you know, the defense wasn't very good. But I, I would say those, those defenses, 93, 94, 95, obviously, you know, 96 when they won it, I mean, it was really solid defensive players. Think back to – Kevin Carter and, and Ellis Johnson and Henry McMillan up on the defensive line. You know, Ben Hanks was our great linebacker. It was just uh, so many Lawrence Wright, so many great players on those defenses. And um, I, I just I have to believe it was probably because they were overshadowed by the offense and Coach Spurrier's involvement on that side of the ball. But I also think, you know, they never really had to play they didn't. They didn't have to shut teams down because they knew we were going to score forty, fifty points, and and so they didn't really have to to perform that lights out, you know, type of defense. But I, I do think they were a lot better than we give them credit for, for sure. Bro, that that ninety five defense was top ten nationally in scoring defense. I don't know what that's about because yeah. I remember I, I talked to you about that same thing. I didn't know that Bill Conley had done that. Um, Bill Conley, I but like Chris, when I was doing Bill the Conley, SEC, yeah. you, you, but like the SEC, I did it for the SEC teams. We were talking about ninety five Florida versus. 2011 LSU, 2004 Auburn, and that I was blown away at how good the defense numbers were, or the defensive numbers were, because they were top ten nationally in both offense and defense. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and again, I just I think it probably was the fact that they were uh, a little overshadowed, but just so many. You go back and look. I would argue that the, the draft choices from you know 90, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96. I would argue that the ones that were drafted on the defensive side probably had better NFL careers. I mean, there's a lot of guys that were highly drafted and had 
really long, successful careers on the defense and, and probably were more uh, more proficient in the NFL when, than the guys on our offensive side were. All right, CD, I got um, – I was originally going to ask you which touchdown was better, the one in the SEC championship or the one against Kentucky. Doring's got a touchdown. I, I instead think the better question is, did you have a similar experience post-game – in the Kentucky game, as you did to the SEC yeah. championship. Well, I'm going to let you guys down here because so that was a that was a night game in Lexington. Uh, we got we got done. You know, you do all your interviews. You get on the plane. It's already late, and I remember I was sitting next to Judd Davis, who's still a good friend to this day, Lou Groza Award winner. We didn't have cell phones then. You know, like he let me borrow his dad's credit card to use the phone. You remember how you used to have phones on the back of the yeah, uh, airplane? Airphone. Yeah, let me use that. I called my girlfriend and, and uh, ended up, you know, arriving back in town late and went directly to her house. In fact, I'm still, you know, I still get, there's one, one guy that I, uh, guy that I played golf with in a golf tournament up in Atlanta a long time back, and he still rides me for not going out after that game. I, I went home and shut it down early, so I, I did not, uh, I think it was, I wanted to watch the replay. You know, they used to show the replay on Sun Sports at like 11 o'clock or something. When I got home, I wanted to watch the replay and catch the end of that. So, not, I don't have a great story, um, at least not one that's quite as eventful as the, the post-94 <laughs> SEC championship game. That's fair. Um, let, okay. Hey, let me say this, though. I want to go back. Can I, can, I, can I add something? I know I'm not running yeah, the course. show here on this Far one. Away. But in that In that 94 game, you know, I want to speak to just how great, a coach that Coach Spurrier is and how unafraid he is. So I, I challenge you guys to go back and watch that last drive. I believe I believe it was uh, – was it Rudd that intercepted the pass and went back for yeah. the touchdown from yeah. Alabama? Yes. So mm-hmm. Dwayne Rudd t- takes it back. They win the game. They're, they're up right now. There's about probably seven minutes to go. They're leading at that point in time. And Coach Spurrier, we, we have a, a number of trick plays. We go in that in that series alone – we faked an injury to Danny Warfel, and we had this. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, is that real? Hold on, hold on, hold on. CD, you just broke news here because Keith Jackson, on the broadcast, they're they're saying, they're like, they're, at first they said it was a fake injury, and then they show the replay where Warfel is getting lit up. And he like he gets his ankle twisted, and they're like, oh, that's not a hoax at all. He wasn't, like, he, he's definitely hurt. You're telling us that he was definitely hurt on that, or that he wasn't no. hurt and that it was a fake injury. No, that was the plan. That was acting, acting master thespian. Danny's a great actor, man. He, uh, he, <laughs> oh he, that was the whole plan. He, he limps off the field. We bring in Eric Kresser, who's our, our third string Oh, we know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the plan was that nobody would think that Eric Kresser was going to come in and throw the ball. Eric had the strongest arm on the team. And we oh, throw wow. a go route down the sideline, which, of course, we hit. You know, it looks it's exactly the way Coach Spurrier planned it. So, and then we go, then we go Emory and Henry. And you remember the Emory and Henry formation where it's a, a center, two guards. The tackle yeah. is split out wide with the, the tight end on both sides uh, and then a receiver behind them. And you, you, it's just a number count. If they don't put the right numbers up in the box, then you're, you're throwing it out wide. And you got blockers, or excuse me, if they don't put enough numbers in the box, you're running the ball. And if they don't, you know, align enough people outside, then you have the numbers advantage outside. You throw it out there. And so, it, you know, we, we ran that, I think, one or two times. Riel had a big catch. 
And that's what ultimately set up the double pass, too, because it was a little bit of a similar kind of look. It wasn't the same formation, but, you know, I take a step forward. I come back. Danny laterals it to me with a pass out that that resembles the Emory and and Henry kind of screen, and everybody runs up and bites on that, and Aubrey Hill, you know, sneaks in behind. So we probably ran three or four trick plays, what people would consider (laughs) trick plays, in that series alone. And really for Coach Spurrier, those those aren't trick plays. Those are – those are normal plays, you know. He's he's not afraid, and uh, that ultimately what won the game for us, which I thought was pretty cool. I just I'm so amazed right now because that's awesome. Later on in this episode, we're gonna um, sell like idiots. Yeah. yeah, well, you are not like. Yeah, I am. I am because we we have a we have a, a segment in this part where it says, "What's the coldest take from the broadcast?" And Connors was was like them announcing this, and it was like. Like, you know, I think they said on the broadcast, it was like, I think that was a hoax. And he's like, that was no hoax. Or that was a hoax, whatever. It, it was it was, it was, was good stuff. I, I will yeah. say, I'm going to apologize to you because I know that I sent, I don't want to say a hate-filled text message asking you to come on the broad, or the podcast, but I don't want to not say a hate-filled uh, text. Because I, cause it was, to me, like, I, 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 t- I told this to Connor earlier today, I missed this game because of that damn tennis match. And I remember I had to hear about it from my dad who did not want to talk about Bama losing and and the the you know undefeated season being over, and er, so everything of course was skewed in like he's like oh, there was a BS call on a, in a on a on an interception there was and they ran a bunch of trick plays so my entire life I've just I thought that you ran a bunch of trick plays and now now I know so, we did run a bunch of trick that. plays yeah we ran some trick plays but those are <laughs> those are core plays but I'll, I'll say this let's let's reveal a little behind the scenes you know you you are and you told me this I think. The first time I ever met you was oh, uh, at the Omni Hotel, and uh, Marler's dressed as a as a referee, serving <laughs> drinks from a, a remote bar over during the uh, basketball tournament or whatever was going on, volleyball tournament. Oh, that's madness, what I was yeah. there for. Yeah, so uh, you know, he tells me he tells me that you know he's an Alabama fan and he hates me for for you know what <laughs> happened back in '94. Like to me, that's the greatest compliment you can ever get when an opposing fan tells you how much they hate you. That means you did something traumatic to them in their life, and so I am glad that I commit. I, I, I had some contribution to some trauma in your life, brother. It makes me <laughs> makes me happy to no end. I did. I appreciate it too. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to send you an invoice for some of my therapy charges, but it's fine. We'll we'll get through it. Um, okay. So I got I got two questions for you real quick, and w- yeah. one is, uh, you know, if there's one person I know, and I love that you guys have a, a good relationship, and you guys are boys. But there's one person I know that also loves giving people traumatic uh, moments. It's Danny Cannell. That 94 season, not to be on a sour note here, not the best time against Florida State. Not the best record. We had the, the, the end of the season, regular season game we're not going to talk about. in the Sugar Bowl, how much has Danny Cannell brought that up to you over the years? Well, yeah, Danny's brought that up a good bit. I mean, the, the great part about it, though, Danny and I are the same year, and uh, the 95 season was our last game against one another, and you're only as good as your last game. You know, Marley, it doesn't matter. All the other stuff doesn't matter. We beat him there in the swamp my senior night. It was uh, it was a memorable one. But you know, the 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 cool thing for Danny and I, you know, like you know, you hate one another. I hate all those Florida State guys. And then we go to the Senior Bowl and end up playing together. He's my quarterback there. He throws me a touchdown in the game. You know, Seminole to a Gator, and and we actually became really good friends that week. We bonded over our mutual love for blackjack, and we every That's single right. night. And maybe this isn't maybe this is one of the reasons why I didn't go till the sixth round. But every night when we were done with practice, he and I and Eric Molds would jump in the car and drive to uh, Mississippi to go to uh, the, the Biloxi Casinos. Yeah, so we uh, are gambling. <laughs> Our, our, our gambling addiction is, is one of the things that really has uh, has bonded us over the years, man. 
I, you know, I've always wondered why you're one of my favorites, and that's obviously, I mean, just, <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is just so on brand. I love it. All right, last question here. You talked about it here. Uh, was, you kind of alluded to it, and you said, you're always good as your last game. This, in fact, was my last ever, not professional tennis match, but, you know, it was, I, I just, that day, I, 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 I quit a career that could have had just unlimited potential as a, as a tennis star, and I, I'm assuming that I'm not crazy and I'm not the only one that may have ever thrown a sporting event so they could go watch their favorite football team to a school they never went to. Um, what advice do you have for the youth of America that may have also thrown a match at the age of eight uh, so they could watch a football game? What, what do you got? Yeah. Now, first of all, I, I think you are the only one. I don't know. Like, the idea of losing a match on a game, any sort of competition on purpose, never – like, that makes my skin crawl right now as you talk Fair. about that. Yeah. So as much as I loved the Gators as a kid, like, I couldn't imagine not, not winning a game, not trying to win a game. So, like, that, that, that makes me actually question you as a person a little bit. But I <laughs> see, like, yeah. that's the difference between me and you. Like, I actually went on to play the game, and you just oh. – you know? so, <laughs> Wow. You're, you're lack the competitiveness that you need to play at a high college level. college baseball, but that's fine. That's, okay, it's all good. See, where, where was it again? Oh, don't even. This is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm jumping on steroids. I'm doing 22 pull-ups, and I'm, I'm getting on your level. That's bottom line. Uh, you, hey, you know, I, I love you. I love both of you guys, man. It's been, it, it sucks because this week, as we're talking about this, we should be yeah. in uh, Atlanta at SEC Media Days, and we've always had a, a good time catching up there. But I will say this, like, it you know it comes around goes around it happens because as a kid I, I grew up a huge Gator fan as you guys know the Georgia Bulldogs you know, completely ruined my childhood and you know we finally had them beat in 1980 and then the Buck blew to Lindsey Scott thing so to wrap take this full circle after that 94 game you know I throw the, the throw the pass that sets up the game winning touchdown I catch the game winning touchdown the first media member and you know, they all come running at you on the field. And uh, the guy goes, hey, Chris, I'm Buck Blue. And I was like, man, Buck, I effing hated you oh. when I was a kid. So, you know, it, it all comes around, you know, because I, he ruined my childhood. And now I had a chance to ruin your childhood, Chris. I appreciate it. We love you too. It's fine. This, we, we appreciate it. No, this is good, man. This is, uh, yeah, you know, we've talked so much over the years and got to know each other so well. And I, I honestly, I don't know why I thought that. I didn't know we would learn this many new things and also <laughs> so good. It's, this, has been, this has been fun, man. We appreciate it. No, it's a, it's a great time, and uh, I wish it was in person doing this, but I look forward to the days we can uh, hook up again and, and, uh, and, and renew the friendship in person, man. See, yeah, we're going to... We're gonna have to like force our way to, to Charlotte sometime soon, or, or figure out some way to talk about another game where you scored a game-winning touchdown or, or something like that. And not getting to do regular SEC this morning, it, it, it bums both of us out. It, it's been, I know. it's been. Oh, I'm hoping, on tomorrow, oh. Connor. So, whoa! All right, <laughs> yeah, I see it's like that. Okay. Uh, I, right. I am hoping that we get a chance to one be in Charlotte, you know, and yeah. two, you know, we. Uh, I hope we can get back to being live on the mornings. Although, it, it, it oh, we're not we're not on anymore. Are we? We're not. Uh, we can. Uh, we'll take this. We'll take this. To, uh, I'll close out here. I'll close out. CD, yeah. thank you for coming on. Um, one day we'll share all of the um, the unheard of tapes yeah. and uh, yeah the, the peels behind the onion. So as of right now, yeah, thanks, CD. We are officially off air. Appreciate CD for jumping on with us and recapping what was a very fine time in his life. And, you know, something they talked about once or twice, maybe. I don't know. Probably. 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 The prominent extras. There's, uh, speaking of Florida receivers, there, there's a lot to get to. Jack goes <laughs> green. 
who redshirted in 94, which is why he's a prominent extra, not an A-lister, but obviously became such a big piece of Spurrier's offense and only a true freshman at the time. And if I actually went back and I read, uh, it's like a Sun Sentinel article about all the talent that Florida's got coming back. And it was how everything was going to be okay because they got guys like this who weren't even playing and it's going to be totally fine. And sure enough, yeah, um, the next few years of Florida football and that offense were, were pretty back. good. And Jack was green, obviously very important in that. The other guy, Ike Hilliard. He plays in this game, so he's not redshirting, and he makes a couple catches. Not necessarily a breakout star, though. I wouldn't put him in that category for this game, but another guy who is a future first-team All-American. And, you know, it. you realize looking at all these Dude. guys, <laughs> you're just like, how do you ever get? How do you ever catch a pass on this team? I don't know. Oh, well, I mean, the offense is very You roll out to, to your right, very <laughs> lethargically, throw it across your body, and just pray to God somebody catches it. Is that as, right, Jay Parker? <laughs> as you're getting hit, probably by Kevin yeah. Carter or Ellis Johnson, one of those two guys. Um, but Ike Hilliard was someone who played a long time in the NFL, too. Did not really realize that. I think he played like something like 12 years in, in the NFL and was – a big piece of the, of the fun and gun thing and, and was fun to watch, especially in 95-96. Lawrence Wright, the Florida safety who Didn't won the Jim Thorpe away? Award. Wasn't he just shot and killed? Lawrence Wright? No. Ike Hilliard? Oh, Derek Henry just got paid. Ike Hilliard, yeah. Oh, I don't... Oh, no. I, I don't, no, you're talking about Caldwell. Am I? Yeah. Uh, Rache Caldwell, I believe. You know what? And listen, I know that I do this a lot. And I'm, I can, I'm showing my age more and more that we do these these adjustment more things because I am mixing up players and <laughs> let's not ever get started on the USC draft picks again. But but that really is like a testament to Florida's receivers because I, I swear to God, like like you could have called well. Yeah. Okay. There were three different people. I once you say I don't think so. There were three other different people. I was like, well, maybe it was this guy. All huge mm-hmm. names, all drafted in like the top two rounds. They were all SEC players. But my apologies to I Killyard. There you go. Lawrence Wright, Florida safety, was in the news yep. uh, recently, actually, as well. Um, he made famous the, um, the the chant, if you ain't Gator, you must be Gator bait. Oh, that yeah. is no longer being said at Florida. We don't have to go down that road. I love one of my new favorite things besides neck rolls and big shoulder pads that we see when we go back and we watch these games is safeties getting to be animals oh my god in the 90s (laughs) in the 90s and early 2000s oh my goodness go take someone's head off go take go take someone's head off and and it gets to be on a highlight reel forever and it'll be celebrated until the year 2019 when then it'll it'll certainly be turned into something like this may not have been the best move for us as a league but my god how fun was that to watch dude forced eight fumbles in his career You, you spend um 10 minutes watching him and that becomes very clear. Lawrence Wright was one of those guys who I, I can't imagine being a receiver trying to come over the middle knowing that that guy no. with a head of steam could just take your head off at any given moment. Yeah. I mean, this defense, especially we talked about Bama's defense, but Ellis Johnson, Kevin Carter, um, him, him at, at, at safety. And he played, he played man a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, you know, even as a safety, he had that interception that I was told forever, which by the way, I never could find the replay to. 
But I was told mm. that ball hit the ground for for years and years. But yeah, he was he was fantastic. You got to hurry up because you got like eight more Florida players. I know Florida get, Homer. And well, I no, get we got all the Bama players. We got we. I only got one more Florida player, one more Bama assistant. Um, Brian Schottenheimer, Florida quarterback, who I only bring him up because I think he might have been the most obvious future offensive coach in the history of football. I, um, I didn't know you were going to put him on here. I was really excited to bring him up. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I mean, think about it. Backup quarterback, played under Spurrier. His dad, Marty Schottenheimer, everybody knows, spent a ton of time in the NFL. Um, and I think he had an uncle who's an NFL head coach, too, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're not coaching with all of those things in your background, like I'm sure he went to Florida, and even when he was a, a freshman at Florida, he's like, I'm going to be a coach. I'm going to hold a clipboard on the sideline. I'm going to be the guy that stands right next to Spurrier and makes all yeah. his hand signals. He knew that from the moment he started college to the moment he finished college. There's no no doubt in my mind. Brian, why why, why you got such a, a long name? How, how am I going to put that on a jersey? Um, yeah, he was he was pretty fun to watch. If you look at this, like again, Jack Jackson played in the NFL. Doring, Anthony, Hilliard. We didn't even talk about Travis McGriff. Um, this guy becomes a coach. Like this this whole thing was just it was ridiculous. Also, shout out. You're not going to say it. I'll say it. Ron Zook. Ron Zook oh, was on the sidelines. I tweeted about Ron Zook on the sidelines. That haircut okay. that he had, rocking the bowl <laughs> cut. I, I, didn't know, I didn't know that Ron Zook had a glow up when he got into his 50s, but he definitely yeah. did. He yeah. definitely He's did. like a, a divorced dude living in Sarasota. He definitely had a glow up and, and started yeah. shopping. He, he, he became Rich Guy Cole's, uh, Rich Guy that shops at Cole's, like Cole's Rich in his uh, 50s. I mean, I, like I that kind a, of person. He's a higher level, I think. No, than, than he's, wearing, he's wearing chaps Ralph Lauren instead of polo Ralph Lauren, guaranteed. Um, I'm just but the saying. polo, the polo that he's wearing on the sideline. I had a couple yeah. Florida fans tweet at me that they've been trying to find that polo. I, I tweeted out the picture of yeah. Zook wearing this thing that looks like it's got these prints on it. It would, it's the type of shirt that he would was. It only see. it was they did a lot but of these only, in the 90s. Yeah, only on the top. It was so they did this weird. They did this weird like design where it was, and it was always like, wasn't it like LA Gear the the team or like the sports? It was, I remember it being a really big logo. The the main thing when it came to wearing a '90s polo was the collar and the the um, whatever the wrap would be at the end of your sleeves. What mm-hmm. is that called? That those could not be the same color as the main part of the shirt. No way. They had yeah. to be a different color. Uh, usually teal for whatever reason, and then the print. Instead of just having like you know a polo horse or like a Florida Gator on the left breast as you would now, they had to have this weird, almost like looking version of a of like a. Leave that like, one, Will. Yeah. What time is it? Um, this like weird looking version of like a tribal tattoo that just covers like you know yeah. the Rock has that whole thing that covers his shoulder and arms. They're like, let's do that, but make it that weird teal and purple logo that's always on those weird cups that you get whenever you're at the DMV. Mm-hmm. That was every 90s uh, polo shirt ever. I want all of them. I, I mean, they're, they're incredible. <laughs> Bring them all back. They could uh, not, no, Connor, like you, you wear stuff that fits your body. This, this all had to be like. Good point. Below good point. your elbows. The, that kind of, oh man. One more yeah. prominent extra that I have before we get to the story arc. No, I'm not going to go with my prominent extras. Oh, I thought you'd been listing them off as we've been going here. No, okay. I've been waiting on you. All right, Dabo. Dabo's a GA for Bama. People forget the only school he's ever been to besides Clemson is Bama. Nobody yeah. forgets that. Yeah. I was hoping for one sideline pick of Dabo, and I I could not see it, and I looked for it. I made it a point to look for it from the start. If somebody has seen in this game 
a sideline pick of Dabo. I'd like to see it. And yeah, I mean, you could find like the old pics of him, you know, where he's smiling for a picture or something like that, wearing his Bama polo, probably yeah. with some weird print on the, the top half of it, like the tribal tattoo or something. But I want to see Dabo in the midst of a game where he's holding like eight different footballs and he's got four towels draped on him because he's a GA at this point. Yeah. And as we know, every GA who has ever existed has always looked very flustered and very much like they are just trying not to be the person who catches the wrath of the head coach. And a young Dabo would have certainly looked like that in comparison to Gene Stallings. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, Okay, here's your prominent extras that I was going to include, but you decided not to because you're the worst. I included so many on here. You included none from Bama. I included Dabo for the prominent extras. That was it. I had, okay, I had one there. Oh, yeah, because I had more for, um, I had two for the breakout performers, a few of the A-listers. All right, go ahead. Okay. C- clean it um, up. Here's, here is, here's a, I mean, the, the maybe the best receiving core in the history of Bama football before this season. Marcel West, Curtis, uh, Curtis Brown, Todrick Malone, love those guys. Um, really good D-line. We're not going to get into all the defensive players. Mike DeBose was on the sideline for this game, I'm pretty sure. He was not he was not the defensive coordinator I don't think, but I'm pretty sure future Bama coach uh, Mike Dubos was on the sideline and I can't find the damn your favorite Bama coach of the last thirty years. <sighs> I met him in Stone Mountain one time. We're not going to talk about it. Um, regardless, Homer Smith and brother brother Oliver brother Oliver was the offensive coordinator who was who was like very very famous like like people just like, like just you know Homer Smith's one of the best in the game. I'm not seeing it from all of these, like all of these seasons that I've now, or all these games I've now watched with 92 to 94 seasons. Um, not that great. Bill Oliver, who I think, uh, Bill, I'm sorry, Bill Oliver's brother Oliver. He later went to Auburn and was defense mm. coordinator there. Um, and last but not least, listen, if you want to talk about, I, don't, I can't find it, but whoever was the special teams coach, I tweeted this today, and this is not a joke. Whoever the special teams coach was, from this team needs like back up the effing Brinks truck right now and sign him today if he's alive. If he's dead, I was gonna say dig dead him or alive. up, dig him up, bro, and just put him up on strings like weekend at Bernie's on the sidelines because we need that kind of energy from whoever this was going into this game. Bama had blocked nine punts and their kicker was a two-time All-American, two times. He had a forty-nine yarder or forty-seven yarder and a forty-six yarder in this game. Wasn't he an All-American after this season? No, he was gone after the season. He was an All-American 93-94. Michael Proctor. But they had said, okay, because one of the things that they said on the broadcast was before this game, this year, he had not made a kick longer than 35 yards. I don't care. I'm looking at the thing right now. It says he's an All-American. I know. He's an All-American in 93 and 94. That's interesting. From I wonder how much... I wonder how much depended on this game. <laughs> and 93, uh, he, no, they announced him as an All-American 94 before this game. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he huh. just made a bunch of kicks, bro. Anyway, All right. moving on. Um, yeah, he was great. And uh, and I missed that, that part of, I, I think I, t- I tweeted that out and somebody, I forgot who it was, I apologize. They, they, uh, they tweeted back, they go, I've always wondered how good Bama could have been at, under Saban if they would have had a kicker who... And I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, that is true. But also, like, I don't, I mean. Let me be the first to say. better could they have? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think that things really would have uh, really would have turned things around for them. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Could have won, uh, won a couple more titles. Right, Story we're an arc. hour in, so let's get to the actual. <laughs> <laughs> 
Favorite line from the broadcast, Keith Jackson is on the call for ABC. I just like every single time he says, Alabama. Alabama. He he holds the A so well. Um, Speaking of field goals, though, my real favorite line on the broadcast, when Bama is lining up for field goals (laughs) down. Me too. Okay, so Bama is down 17 to 10 in the middle of the third quarter, and Keith Jackson, as only he could, says, this is a 47-yard try from Michael Proctor. His long of the year is only 35. And he's got a leg on this baby, and it's good. Hoo-wee! Hello! <laughs> getting a hoo after a 47-yard kick is the kind of love we need in the world right now. Bro, it, first off, I, it's funny how... This, this is one, this is my favorite line as well. And when he made it, it, it he was so excited when he threw it or, I'm sorry, when he kicked it, like, more than any other play of the game, it seemed like, for Bama. And I miss mm-hmm. that. about Like, you get that now, but only out of sarcasm when Bama hits a field goal like that. <laughs> like, it's just, so that was, I was cracking up. And, but you know, you know what bummed me out? And, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I just missed it. But I watched it twice. And I watched the, the, uh, the short version. This is like the second, third, fourth game we've done with Keith Jackson, and we still haven't gotten one Whoa Nelly. Whoa Nelly! Wait a minute. Didn't we get one in no. the bow over the top? We no. Didn't. Remember, I said it as my favorite quote, and oh you were like, goodness. he didn't say it in the game. And You're I was like, right. yeah, thanks. thanks for calling me out, Connor. You're right. I'm um, a jerk. I'm the worst. But he, he, when he says, when he says, Alabama, I just want to go to my grandma's and get a Dr. Pepper out of her fridge immediately. That's like that's like the, the anyway. Regardless of, what, of how anybody who is listening to this feels about Alabama, listening to Keith Jackson say that, yeah, it, uh, it it gets the football jollies going. There you go. That's a weird thing to say out loud. All right, <laughs> coldest take for the <laughs> coldest take for the broadcast. Uh, for starters, every single time that they would say Rydell Anthony instead of Redell Anthony, that just kind yeah. of, kind of bothered me. Whatever. Um, also, there's this play in the game in the fourth quarter, and I'm sure you picked up on this too. It was very awkward. I don't know who uh, was on color. I think it was Tim Brandt. Who was on color? Let's just say it's Tim Brando. Let's say it's Tim Brando. No, no, no. Keep, uh, <laughs> no, Tim Brando's a he's a friend now. He's a friend. Um, there was this play in in the fourth quarter where Werfel limps off the field. Yeah. And it's it's in the beginning of this this key go ahead drive that Florida has, and in steps Eric Cresser, and he throws a deep ball to Ike Hilliard, and catches it, and then Werfel comes back in on the next play, and so again I'm not sure, but I think it was Tim Brandt on color. He started saying it was a trick and that Warble had faked it and that he faked the injury and it was just Spurrier's genius. And then, like, because Cresser was the better deep ball passer. That was his justification yeah. for it. And, and Keith Jackson's kind of like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> he, he wouldn't really Partner, go along I don't know it. if I believe you. <laughs> and then they show a replay about five seconds later of the play that Werfel went out on. And Werfel just got demolished. I mean, yeah. he got he got his ankle all totally twisted. And then on the broadcast, they say, oh, that's no hoax. <laughs> it was the most immediate cold take ever. And I love the fact that the production crew had this silent moment of, oh, we're going to have to really show how wrong he is right now. Dude, uh, he, like, <laughs> yes. He had several bad calls in this game. And he, so my two coldest takes, I already mentioned one. The Keith Jackson thing, he's like, he's got a man. And, and and it's 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 greasy on the with with him, right? I don't. 
Is it greasy? We should know. I just, I, I, whoever it was, because our our broadcast didn't yeah. didn't show that detail in the beginning. Yeah. So, but whoever it is, it's it, like he is just in the first quarter, especially on and on and on about how great Jay Barker is. And oh, then he yeah. makes this throw that's a touchdown pass because they're going over Barker's numbers, and he's like, he's 4-4 four, four for 104 yards in the first quarter. And I was like, what, what the hell? Like, that's like his season production numbers right there. Like, he's done for the day. So they show the touchdown pass, and obviously he had rolled out to his right, like I've been saying, throws across his body into double coverage and just somehow sneaks this ball behind two guys that run into each other to another receiver who just happened to be there, and he runs it in for a touchdown because he's you know behind the defense and the other guys had, had hit each other. It was a terrible throw, and they still went back and defended it after even Keith Jackson was like, he's got a man, and the guy he was talking about wasn't the man who caught the ball. It's like it was just it was so ridiculous, and the fact that he just he doubled down and maybe even tripled down on it about how great of a pass he was. He's like that kind of throw right there is why he's won thirty four games. It's like that is not that is the opposite of nope. that's probably why he lost one game, sir. Yep. So then the other <laughs> the other bad call I had, and this is my personal favorite. Um, Bama had the ball with uh, four thirty nine left in the third quarter. Okay. And it's second and 20. I think they had, I forgot what happened on the play before, but they ended up getting a 10-yard penalty, so it's second and 20. And and he, he goes, that may be a drive stopper right there, Keith. And then Keith Jackson goes, you may be right. Literally three seconds later, Jay Barker hits Todrick Malone for a 29-yard mm. pass for a first down. I was like, you guys are really bad at this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was uh, those are my two coldest takes of the broadcast. Those are good. There were Yeah, there were several uh, throughout this game that, you just kind of sit there and you're like, ah, no, no, that that's that's not the way that we should be talking about this. Mostly related no. to Jay Barker. Everything pretty much positive said about Jay Barker early in this game. By the end of it, no, wasn't really buying yeah. into that. Jadavian Clowney, reminder that normal people don't play this game. Um, Riedel Anthony, again, he repeatedly would just leave defenders in the dust when he would be approaching the sideline. And I don't know how many times... You have to watch one of your defenders go all in to try and tackle him on the sideline, and he just stops on a dime and watches you go past him. He did that, I felt like, more than anybody that, we, that we've seen doing these old games where that was a little bit like the, the Justin Jefferson play, I mean, to a lesser account, like the Justin Jefferson play against Clemson where he just stops on a dime and watches the defender go right past him, and you're quickly reminded that, he is a, a definitely a first-round talent, and Florida getting him involved while it was a little bit forced because of the Jack Jackson injury maybe was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, he, there was a couple passes that he he threw, um, what do you call it, like, the, the, like especially to Anthony. There's one that was like in the seam, but it was a go route where he just put it perfectly over two Bama defenders. I think they were in a zone or something like that. Um, he was really good. He was really good. I, I didn't have him for my, um, for this. I, so for me, it was, there was a play in the fourth quarter where, like, I, there's nothing about Danny Werfel that makes me think he's tough. Like, I, I've never watched, I've never looked at Danny Werfel. I'm like, that's a guy I want in a, in a, what Brawl. do they call it? Back there. Yeah. Like, or like a, like a, a tr- what street it? fight. A fox pit. And that's not it either. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's like, that's a guy you want in your, Foxhole. 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 God, I'm good at words. Jeopardy. So anyway, guess that word. Yeah. <laughs> Allie. Um, Danny Warfel's a guy I'd never want in my fox pit. But uh, he, 
he has a play, and it's like second or third down, and they're driving, and you know they're losing at this point, and this defense has has been getting in his face like for a lot of day. He'd been picked off a couple of times already, um, and he he steps up the pocket, and decides to run, and Dwayne Rudd is running after him, and it seemingly has an angle on him, and Werfel outruns him, and then as he's trying to get to the sideline, I think it was T.P. Johnson comes down comes down to hit him. And he has the angle. It's the defensive back. Lays, tries to lay the wood. Bounces right off of, of Danny Werfel. Just lowers his shoulder and bounces right off of him. And it's just crazy to me watching this play. game. Yeah, it was a heck of a play. It, like, it was like, man, he was such a good football player. But he was also, he's it from that era too, like in the 90s especially, where it's like, if, if by all means today, I think that Danny Werfel would be the type of quarterback that would slide during that play. And and this is like this a different kind of era, I think, where he was even even guys that you wouldn't consider super tough necessarily, he was tough as hell in this game. He wore those big shoulder pads too. It might have made <laughs> a little bit of an impact. Shoulder pads for quarterbacks have changed over the years. Just how are you protecting yourself for the game? Well, I've got two <laughs> pairs of socks on, so I don't turn an ankle, and I got giant ass shoulder pads, so I'm good. <laughs> Trent Richardson, I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. I know I've referenced him a lot. It's Reedell Anthony. Oh, okay. Had an okay NFL career, but somebody who's drafted number 16 overall, and for whatever reason with skill players, we always assume sky's the limit, Pro Bowl's in their future, and Anthony just never quite was that guy with the Bucks. Had 500 yeah. receiving yards once in his five-year career. Out of the NFL by the time he was 25 years old. Basically had one solid year back in 98. Was part of some really good teams, though. Um, and like I said, I was definitely all aboard that Tampa Bay Bucks bandwagon back in the day with with Tony Dungy. Those were fun teams to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's fine. Do you, you have a Trent Richardson? Can't believe they didn't make in the NFL? I don't, I just, I hate the fact that that's still the example we used, but yes, I do. It, um, it's the, it's the example that I know, I know when I make it, people are going to know exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Uh, yeah, sure. What are you going to say? If you just want to hurt my feelings, <laughs> it's fine. It wouldn't be Sherman. Um, there weren't that many players. I think like Dwayne Rudd was a first rounder. He was in the league for a minute, right? Um, it, it honestly, it might be like, like those those defensive backs. Sam Shade, I think Shade even played for the the Redskins for a while, but um, uh, our words, our words. Yes, sorry, my bad. That is my bad. Um, I, Ralph Staten is is the guy for me. Um, and I I don't remember how long he even played, but Ralph Staten was a guy, especially. I mean, he was only a sophomore at this point, but in '96, he was such a good good linebacker. Um, that just never really stuck around the NFL. And I, I thought out of anybody on this team, he would be a guy, even more so than that linebacker group and anybody on the D-line, he would be the guy that would, that would stick around. So there's that. It's also, Terrence Lynch. Terrence Lynch at this day and age, too. He's one of my favorite players ever, just because his name is Terrence, number 45. He's like That's the most name. prototypical yeah. line or fullback you'd ever see. Number 45, big hoss. Always got the ball on fourth down like as like mm-hmm. the running back. Um, he seemed like he would fit in really well with NFL teams like at that, that time, so... The thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching slash researching this. It's pretty obvious. It's how bad Jay Barker's numbers were. Um, Is that really? Yeah. Really, I, mean, I hate to say this because I really do like Jay Barker. Uh, but yes. <laughs> yes. He's a finalist. It may be not bad, but uh, pedestrian given the accolades. Yeah. Is that fair? I, dude, I'm, I'm again watching the replay. Bama's got the ball with a chance to win. And when you have a quarterback that's 34-1-1 and and a Heisman finalist, by all means, you think, you know what? We're good. 
We've been here before. Mm. We're going to be fine. But, you know, another thing that's that's often overlooked, I think, from this team, and, and, and by all means, I, this 94 team went 12-1. and They beat Ohio State. They were one point shy of an undefeated season. One point, okay? I, I remember thinking this team was dominant. Being an Auburn team that had won 21 straight games or had been unbeaten in 21 straight games, um, a very good football team. And then you start looking at, like, the actual season and the numbers of these games. And, I, like, I remember going to the Tulane game because it was the same day as the Michigan-Colorado uh, Hail Mary. And it was, it was 20 to 10. <laughs> they beat Tulane by 10 points. They beat Vandy by 10. Arkansas by 7. Georgia by 1. Southern Miss by 8. Tennessee by 4. Um, they have two. Then they have two double-digit wins against Ole Miss and LSU of 11 and 18 whopping points. Beat Mississippi State by four, Auburn by seven. Like every game, like what did he do? That I, I forgot how mundane and, and close to being average this football team was. Maybe their offense was number what forty nine in the country. Something I like didn't that. look that up because mm-hmm. I knew it was going to hurt my feelings. So yeah, um, but it says for points per game it was fifty eight. They averaged twenty three point five points per game. They did not have a top half offense in FBS. No, no. Yikes. Um, I also forgot how the, uh, Florida's stud receivers really hadn't arrived just yet. Yep. The group that we think of so often as being synonymous with the, the Spurrier offenses in the mid-90s just weren't necessarily there yet. Yeah. When the losing team blew it, you're laughing because I put for this all letting caps. Chris Doring walk on the field. Yes, I put it in all caps. The moment he walked through that damn door, Connor, this was over. I bet CD would agree with that. I mean, I love CD, dude. I don't, I don't know if it's... I don't know if this is the play, but I can tell you when the game was lost. What a, what a sequence, though, that that it was for a variety of levels. And, like, I know we like to joke and have fun with CD. Yeah. Um, but the key trick play right before where you make that play, and my thought process was the very next play, your adrenaline's got to be just through the roof. Yeah. Like, through the roof. And for you to be able to calm down and in that moment, the very next play to be able to make that catch on the crossing route for the go-ahead game-winning touchdown, just yeah. a yes, yeah, simple slant it was in the in the end zone. For for him to make that play in that moment was obviously huge, and that's the key the key turning point of, of the game. My question is, how many expletives did you let out? Oh, dude, rewatching it? No, so I didn't see it when I was eight. Remember? Like no, I, re-wa- like, rewatching it. Rewatching, rewatching it. I, it I, I, I legitimately, <laughs> I just said, you got to be effing kidding me as soon as I saw it. And I was like, like I think I, I think I jokingly said, and anybody that knows me knows that I mean this like legitimately as a term of endearment. But I, I dropped one of those like, oh, F you, Doring. Like, mm-hmm. like just like one of those, like, come <laughs> on, dude. Um, yeah, because because uh, it, was, it, was, it was great. I don't think that's where the game was lost. I think where the game was lost was, Either when Barker got injured in his throwing shoulder um, when he went Fair. down, that, I think that affected it a decent amount, or the fourth and one um, with where you have a, a true freshman, Fred Taylor, gets this fourth and one um, against a very, very good Bama defense. They just it didn't seem they could get off the field, and it was one of those things where I felt even rewatching it, I know how good Florida was supposed to be, but you got to think of the mental makeup of, of a team like this against a mm-hmm. team like Bama who they beat you when they were the better team in, in 92. You're in basically the same situation. A team that has not as much to play for, Florida's that's very young, good. 
young. really young, really young. And then you have this other team with senior running back, senior quarterback, like Heisman finalist, senior quarterback, this stout defense, top 10 defense. And when you go up 23 to 17 and you're in the fourth quarter, and if you listen to that crowd, it could not have been more pro-Bama. Yeah, it, like, it was. It, it was It was the first game they'd ever played in the Georgia Dome, which is also something I forgot about in 94. Oh, um, and it was like it sounded like a home game, and they're doing the kickoffs and everything like that. Um, which again, just credit to Florida how how great of a win that that really was. But I was I was surprised that they the fourth and one, and then just like that last interception that Parker threw. Oh, was, the last the last drive in general that Bama had was a disaster. You could easily point to that and say that was when the game was lost. And did I understand. Florida have anyone on the right side of the field because he threw like. We joke around and say, like, you threw it up into triple coverage. It was like it four there. It was like six. It was like, it, like <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was like throwing chum into the middle of the Atlantic. It was ridiculous. And sharks just swarming. There was one minute and 20 seconds left. And they're, they're just out here running the ball like it's Friday Night Lights or something like that. Around, like, yeah. <laughs> like what, what in the world is going on? I, I get that you're playing, you're playing for a field goal because you're nearing midfield or whatever. But you should not be running the ball in this spot with 80 seconds left. You should be trying to gain yards. Instead, Florida's just stonewalling them at the line of scrimmage without even necessarily bringing extra guys in the box. And Bama was a disaster. I mean, Proctor, I, I get, you know, you trust your kicker. You trust him to make a, a kick in that spot. And they even said on the broadcast, like, they, they need another, like, 15, 20 yards to feel comfortable now because he hadn't made a field goal longer than 35 yards before that you day. Know. Listen, dude, 20, the 2018 team and, and arrogance from the fans during that season, the, the arrogance during the Saban era in general, and, and just how, how bad, overly confident Bama fans can be, there may never be a time to, to legitimately hate a, a Bama arrogance more than this mindset of the minute 20 seconds ago they were like, we're going to set up for a field goal. God. What? Like, and also, if you do yourself a favor and watch just the 20-minute broadcast of this after watching the whole game, because if you watch that, it, it's almost like you have to keep rewinding, like, what the hell? What If I missed something? Because they started out this drive seemingly at the 40-yard line. They are ending this drive seemingly at the 40-yard line, but they kept having play after play. It was like, what? They didn't do anything. They didn't do third anything. Third and eight. On third and eight, when you have this pivotal, pivotal third down you're trying to convert, you got a false start. I, I know you love pre-snap penalties. That's your favorite thing in the world. I just, Keith Jackson just... lets out a little, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's not going to go over well in the locker room. And then Barker throws a swing pass that had absolutely no chance on third down, which I don't know what what he, in the world was, was going on in that play. There's like four Florida defenders right there. The last play, the last play is, and it's, it's something where he had hit a big play before. He'd also thrown an interception on seemingly the same exact play. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he did that thing where he kind of rolls out to his right, and it's almost like one of those where he he was rolling out to his right, and you would want to sell it by looking right and yeah. just kind of assuming, and then looking back over left and, and and throwing it back like where nobody nobody would be there, or at least like the attention like the the, sh- the safeties would have shifted. First off, as soon as he snapped it, he's already got his 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 head just cocked over his shoulder, looking looking the left side of the field, just just staring it down, and then. By the time he does that, he throws the play. He t- it's like it's the most. I, I don't know. He's a better quarterback than we're giving him credit for. I'm, I'm he sure. is. He definitely. But is. like I, it seemed like the most lackadaisical attempt at trying to throw off a defense, and then he throws it like. And I don't think that the the the, the 
the chances of winning were that high, but it just seemed like there was... A, I, I don't think there was anybody on the right side of the field for Florida. It looked that bad. I mean, it was looked, looked like his first read was a check down. And a check down that wasn't open. Not ideal. Not ideal. This, this, was, this was... It almost reminds me of, like, if... Like you said... You said you brought up like the Friday Night Lights thing, <laughs> but like, like I think I brought this up before on the on the podcast. But you ever seen Angels in the End Zone? Oh God, it was awful. <laughs> you know what? I, I think I actually saw that when I was ten or something. Yeah, it's like one of the Lawrence brothers. Yeah, it's yeah, one of the Lawrence weird. brothers. I don't know if it was a Disney original, but it was like it's supposed to be obviously like Angels in the End Zone. And this kid loses his dad, and he's a star running back of his high school football team. And it's it's late in the game, and it's like fourth and ten on their twenty yard line. And I remember, I remember this movie now. <laughs> yes, they call a pass, and he's like, "No, I want the ball." And they're like, "All right, dude, I write thirty two on three. Let's, let's running back blast. Let's effing do it." And he of course runs it eighty yards for a touchdown. But like that, it's like Gene Stallings had just seen that movie, and he's like, "What if?" <laughs> we do this. The defense will never see it coming. Like, yeah, because they're not idiots. That's the guy from the the Stan video, Eminem song. Oh yeah, same same guy. Same. That's guy. Devin Sawa. You're wrong. Really? Oh, they got the little giants. Then they're yeah, all the same yeah, person. That's fair. Also, yeah. Same breed of human. Well, all right. It's a lot. <laughs> what would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? Uh, obviously, Bama would have had a chance at a national title, um, but. In a way, this game was sort of the fear of this skepticism around conference championships. Because if you recall, Spurrier had a lot of resistance when he was pushing for that. Yeah. And, you know, the fear was that the SEC was going to cannibalize itself, ruin its its ability to win a national championship. This wasn't at a time where you had all the Power Five conferences playing conference championships. So the SEC doing How many this. Did you have? You had. One. I think the Big Eight would have been. No, because they only like Texas A&M only had eleven games that year. Or were they in the Southwest? Was that even, we got to learn more about football? No, uh, Southwest. Southwest is in, was eighties. Big Eight was uh, into the nineties, into the Big Twelve. Eh, I could be wrong on that, but there were very few, if any, who were playing conference championships at this yeah. time. And you see the ticker on the bottom. It's like Army Navy's playing, <laughs> and that's about it. They had two weeks off before this. Oh, Nebraska this is twelve and zero, so maybe they did play someone. To play in a conference be. championship, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Regardless, yeah, anyway, yeah, there was there was this fear about that, but the thing to keep in mind when you're talking about Bama and whether or not Bama ruined its chance at a national championship, Penn State and Nebraska both won their bowl games and they both went undefeated. Okay, um, mm-hmm. so Colorado also might have had a better shot than Bama, but probably not. Um, Colorado had had the one loss, of course. So probably wouldn't have had necessarily a better shot, but here's you still have two undefeated teams ahead of Bama at this point. Here's the thing. And, okay, and I will say this. I will say this. That Penn State team was, especially looking back on it now, far and away better than Alabama. Yeah. Um, and I brought this up the other day that Oregon was undefeated. They were not. I was wrong about that. Um, they were 9-4 and four at the end of the season, it looks like. Um, but that Penn State team, the reason why I think that Bama – would have gotten the nod, even though I think you talk about Bobby Ingram, Kajana Carter, uh, Kerry Collins. Just, I mean, how impressed are you with my knowledge right now of 1994 Penn State football? First Very off. impressed. Yes, thank you. Um, at least two first-round draft picks, if not three. I can't remember if Ingram went second round, but regardless, a, a very talented football team. So much fun to watch. 
Um, goes 12 and 0. They beat Oregon in the Rose Bowl. The reason why I think that Bama still would have won going into that Rose Bowl, Oregon was ranked 12th. Bama would have played Florida State, who was ranked seventh. Um, and I don't know if they would have won or not. I really don't. But three separate times, while Joe Paterno was the head coach at Penn State, three different times, Penn State went undefeated and didn't win a national championship. One year they finished fifth, going undefeated. So I, you're also when they were independent though. This is when they were in the Big Ten. True, but if you're two years removed, God, Connor, idiot, why have you tell me? Sorry, sorry. (laughs) It's It's a good point. Keep going. It's only their second year in the Big Ten, but they also like. I just, you're two years removed from the national championship from Bama, mm. and you still have a lot of the same guys, especially on offense mm. from that team. I wonder if Bama gets the nod as this traditional power. And we, uh, you know, we, we think of Penn State as a blue blood, but I mean, you know, they did not have near the same success as Bama after that 86 national championship game. I wonder if that would have somehow factored in, even though, by all means, looking at it, I thought Penn State was was a better team. They were also ranked ahead of Bama going in to um, to the, uh, what do you call it, even this game when Bama was ranked third. Um, so, I got a stump Marler question. Oh, God. Okay. So, how many regular season games did Alabama spend as a top 10 team in the next 10 seasons? So, that's from 1995, or, yeah, from 1995 to 2004. They had one, they had one game that they played as a top five team. Why are you doing where, this? Oh, top Bama's five ranked team? in the top five. One game that to 2004? They From 1995 to 2004. Bama played a regular season game as a top five team once. What game was it? Hold on. The regular season game. Regular season game. Oh, you're the effing worst. You're the effing worst. It's UCLA in 2000 when they were ranked number three in the country. I thought, I thought it was going to – I thought it was – you're the worst, dude. Um, <laughs> so they – because I know they were ranked number 10. They were ranked 10th playing Tennessee in 99, but I'm sure they had a bunch of – maybe a couple of top 10 games. I don't know, but, yeah, all right, that's good. Nice job. Yeah. Talk about the window, the window closing. Yeah. This this kind of this mm-hmm. kind of was that and sanctions obviously and probation had some. Well, dude, with the that sanctions well. came down in '95 and it was a yeah. this again. This was like this is before Bama was really. I don't think people hated them the way they do now. They should have, but it was uh, like I, no, they definitely didn't. People people really thought of Bama as like this. They are one of the traditional powers and that whole return to dominance thing with with um with Gene Stallings because it's just you know. They they had been kind of dormant, like you said, in the '80s, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then but '95, I'll never forget being at school and seeing the Sports Illustrated, uh, what do you call it? Um, the Sports Illustrated with like Bama busted and this like very sad, well not sad, just how Gene Stallings' face looks. I think that's so. Sad. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the Florida side. Only thing I had from the Florida side, uh, Spurrier would have gotten or wouldn't have been able to get that rematch with Bobby Bowden, and which yeah. Florida, Florida actually lost in the in the the rematch after the choke and toke. Um, Florida had only won nine of their last, or had only won one of the last nine matchups with Florida State. So that's crazy. May, maybe they would have avoided this continued belief that Florida can't get over the hump against Florida State. Obviously, things changed, and that was something that they were ultimately able to do with Spurrier, but at the time, still very much a thing. Player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this. Obvious. Obvious for me, very different for you. 
It's just a fired up CD. I loved getting to see all the shots of him on the sideline where the camera zoomed in on him. They're yeah. like, you know, he's the former walk-on. His dad's yeah. a professor at Florida. And they keep showing him, and then they realize, I think, at the end that they probably can't keep showing him because he's yelling all these expletives and stuff. And he <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you know CD, that's that's my dude. nothing has changed in the last 26 years. So oh, I love it, man. It was great, though. I love seeing yeah. those shots of him. He looks so happy. Yeah, um... For me, what I always remember from this is is not it like it's not the game. It's it's uh it's going up to that damn bar at this tennis complex and seeing or whatever it was and seeing the TV go like it was just. I mean, it was like the game must have just ended because it was going to the the start of the Army Navy game and it was like what in the hell have I done? Mm. Um, So yeah, I'll I'll remember that. But I tell you what, man, this '94 season in general, I admittedly had romanticized. I think and and kind of maybe um, forgotten about a lot of stuff that happened. But if you if you want to go back and look at a team or a season that was a lot of fun, like we talk about 2007 season a lot. Talk about a team that, or a season that was a lot of fun. This 94 team, when you have yeah. that, that Oregon team was incredible to watch. They were a huge story that year. Penn State as well. Penn State ranked number one for, for uh, at least a couple weeks of the season. Um Colorado, this is the Hail Mary game with, with Cordell Stewart yep. against Michigan. That was a lot of fun. Um, that that Nebraska team that was just, just silently dominant the whole time. Uh, Notre Dame not living up to expectations. That was fantastic. But but just the, the amount of – maybe it's just a, a reflection on how the, um, how the voters were at that point. But, like, the SEC that year was a lot of fun in, in the fact that you had – it's Peyton Manning's rookie year, so Tennessee wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. But Florida, I mean, that Florida-Auburn game seemed way bigger than any game Bama played. Like, I mean, and Auburn won, but Auburn was on the streak with with Terry Bowden where they hadn't lost in 21 games. I mean, you had a lot of really good teams from the SEC. But then you look at, like, so the preseason polls. You tell me you've ever heard of anything like this, okay? The preseason poll. (laughs) Seven teams, I'm sorry, eight teams received a vote, at least one vote for the number one team in the country. Eight teams. Jeez. Everyone in the top seven received at least one vote, and then some. Excuse my language. What time is it? Um, somebody, even though Bama started at number twelve, somebody put Bama at number one for some reason. Um, but Arizona with Teddy Bruschi, Miami, Michigan, Nebraska, Florida State, Notre Dame, and Florida. I mean, you're, you're talking about Florida starts at number one, and and they have the numbers are 15, 13, 10, and eighteen. That's Goodness. that's the disparity for the the top four teams receiving picks. It was it was a really fun year. Very very good time in college football. Maybe a time that we're going to have to circle back to yeah. again. In the immediate future, our plan is to talk to another one of our friends and maybe do a little bit of a run of SEC championships because yeah. this was only the second SEC championship that we've done and it just meant more. And kind of looking at it and realizing maybe we should start just cranking out SEC championships and take yep. people to a place at the end of the season where it feels like so much is on the line. And right now, I think we'd all give a lot to have anything be, be on the line and to, to be talking about these sort of storylines. So I think we're going to do a few SEC championships. Like I said before, yeah. might not be an every week basis moving forward. We're going to see what the schedule really calls for, but we will make sure that we are still providing a ton of content as we always do here at SDS. Appreciate CD for coming on. It had been a hot minute since we got to talk to him, so good to have him back joining us. Uh, hopefully we're going to get to talk to him during the season. 
Don't start. Let's, let's wrap it up. It's been a two-hour podcast. It's my fault. Let's wrap it up. All right, Marler, um, you got a tennis match to go through? Alabama! <laughs> it might be too much, guys. Talk to you guys soon.